Hi, film gods. Um, now you know who's coming on today because you've clicked the picture, you've seen the link, you've seen the name, and I was so nervous <laughs> talking to this man. Uh, and what I normally would do is put in the audio files, chop them up, record the intro, this bit that you're hearing now. I'm changing up the style because I've got a files that are two hours and six minutes long. I haven't edited this yet. I'm recording this now. So I have, I've, and we did this back in May. So I know it was amazing. I just don't know how amazing it's going to be. And, do, you know, it might be that I keep the whole thing in. So you're hearing me just about to listen to this for the first time like you were just about to do. And I'm super excited. Um, it's the last week of July. August is, is coming. Um, Gladiator is now available on Netflix. I was like, shit, this is it's like, you know, a sign from the film gods. It's like, it's time for Mr. Matheson. Um the wonderful Danny Kleiman was the man that introduced me to this man. I had such an amazing chat and I feel like I honestly could have gone on talking to him for hours and hours. He is a legend. He is amazing. You're going to have a great time listening. I had a great, great time recording. So let's do it. Let's get started. Um, hello, film family. So um, today I'm with a man who I haven't had the pleasure of being on a set with him, but from the people that I've spoken to and the films that he's done, I'm a tad nervous, I'm gonna be honest, um, but I'm hoping that it doesn't come across and that I do get some decent questions out and not just become a nodding dog. Um, so thank you very much for coming on, sir, and for giving up your time for today. Um, what is your name and what do you do? Uh, my name's John Matson. I'm a uh, cinematographer. Okay, what does that it. mean to you? Uh, what does it mean? Um, well, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's different things for different people in different situations. I mean, mm -hmm. it, people call it direct photography, which I think is a very pompous, stupid name. It's the only one director on the set. Um, I don't know. I think you just got to, you know, when you get a script, which is just a, sort of, you know, it's a bunch of pages black and white really awkward to read because it's so um you know it's it's so it's just a document and it has no emotion to it usually it's just dialogue you know without too much screen direction which is a good thing people don't put in too much of that so it's it's dialogue and you get it and it's it's black and it's letters on black on white paper and you know, you've got to realise that into a film. So, um, and you know, a lot of things, especially in the UK, with um, this big tradition of um, literary English, English language plays, Shakespeare, you know, all that stuff. Wonderful writers. Um, that's got nothing to do with cinema, and I think it's almost a, it almost drives us backwards. You know, if you if you've got a sort of a director as well, I've studied English at Oxford. You think, oh Christ! There we go. <laughs> you really, you know, you know. So you know, I know about lots of words. You say, I'm not interested in words. You know. Hmm. Um, and if you look at 
um, you know, some of the great filmmakers, they don't, and I've been looking at some more weird Russian stuff during this time, I don't know why, just someone put me on this weird website. And there is no dialogue, you know, there's no, um, there's no dialogue. And I just made a silent film with Roland Joffrey. Um, you know, it was sort of half a page of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, maybe a page, you know, but not, I mean, over, but it wasn't a long, long film, but it was, you know, it was, it was 50, 50 pages. But, so no dialogue is, you know, that is your, you know, how do you tell it? How do you, how do you get emotion and tell stories and how do you simulate people just with shots? And what people saw great photography is not normally great photography. It's usually great editing. Mm. Um, how those shots go together, you know. Uh, one great, big, wonderful shot is, you know, beautifully lit and everything is, is, is one thing, but um, three or four shots that are um, very average, that are cut well together, have more emotion. Um, than, than uh, you know, just lighting pretty pictures, making mm-hmm. big crane shots. So, I mean, David Lean was a big, you know, he was a big editor, um, editor director. He'd only shoot when he wanted, but you know, if you look at his cuts, you know, and shots really are. I mean, they're very powerful frames. Um, they're kind of very medium-sized shots, and he puts them together very well. And then, um, more recently, you know, from advertising. And people use a lot more shots that jar against each other, you know, close-ups, movement, blurred, out-of-focus stuff, then something big, wide, and landscapey and stately. Um, And that, you know, that generation of great British um, TV commercial makers, which everyone lampooned, you know, you can't do drama, you know, you're from television or you're from um, commercials, you know. People like you know, um, you know, Alan Parker, Ridley Scott, Tony Scott, Adrian Lyon. They were all, they were all slightly put down by the sort of snotty kind of oh, you know, didn't go to Oxford, dear boy, didn't study English. Well, fuck off. Uh. Um, you know, if you look at the beginning of Gladiator, you know, it, it, it's um, uh, I can't just remember, but you know, I can't remember what order it is. But there's sort of um, there's a sky, there's the hand in the wheat field, there's a uh, um, close-up of eyes, really tired, blue eyes, cold eyes, and, and then then there's a robin on a little stick, and it bounces, and it flies up, and it, and it smiles you cut wide. You see Russell, and you know this guy is your guy. You know he's somewhere he doesn't want to be because he's daydreaming, he's not sleeping. Mm. And then you know you cut wide, and then a sort of cohort of cavalry go past, and there's all these guys, and they're on the northern front. They're all cold. They've got fur around them grubby looking legionnaires you know fighting in some forgotten war in some place he doesn't want to be here mm. he doesn't want to be here and he wants to go wherever that place is and then you spend the whole film trying to get to that place but like, you know, there's no, no nothing was written that wasn't written down really? no dialogue no and that's ridley's sort of instinctive um you know commercial uh upbringing you know mm. is like what what works so you know those people that lampooned you know those british filmmakers and you know and sort of said you know they didn't you know more in studying shakespeare and harry and you know all that stuff 
mm. St. George. They they um they were much more you know European sensibilities. You know, um, Max von Sydow, who I, who I knew a bit, you know, just across the water over there. Mm. He just died, and you know, really loved the seventh seal. He loved Bergman. And, you know, those um, those films, the imagery on those is very haunting. So going back to your question, I think that's what a cinematographer should be. You know, you, you, you get these pages and these letters on them and you try and arrange them into um, something more. And Harry walks through the door, sits down, and, you know, is it close up? Should we track me? Have a cup of tea? You know do something interesting do the hand in the wheat field do the robin do the mm. you know the robin's just there you know, how does it come about did you know you're all of a sudden you know i guess if, if it wasn't written well, down it, the script says man's in a field and you suddenly go there's no, a robin here's a field but what it said i think it just started with like you know close up maximus whatever um i mean i found the original script not long ago wow glad it was is that framed Not, somewhere now? No, I don't worry. No, it's somewhere, <laughs> but it's pretty bad. It wasn't anyway. But that's not. But that's you know. That's when he gets to you know his editor Scalia, Pietro Scalia, who's you know very, you know, hands-on. He's like this powerful Italian sort of. And he's a cook and he does things. And same the editing room brings this in and brings that. In. So they they just fiddled around with um, you know. With the images, the shots, you know, they just, and that was in post production. So wow. they had, they knew that the thing, that blah, 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 they had a flashback. So that wasn't written down, you know. I mean, it might have been written in a later script, like people like to do that. Oh, yes, that's exactly what we wrote about. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, that was sort of instinctive. You know, if you asked, if you asked, you know, Ridley, what, you know, what, what, what you know, what, what, are you, what are you doing? What's this shot? What's the, what on earth does this shot have? You know, what, what, what purpose does it have? You wouldn't be able to tell you. Mm. But it just feels a, right. But, but that's right. It feels right. But you can't write about it. That's why it's a fucking shot. That's mm. why it's not a play. That's why it's not a book. Mm. That's why it's a film. You know, that's um, that's what makes the difference. I think. Um, so you know, being um, a photographer, I mean, you've got this thing, this camera thing, and it's it can do a lot of things, but it's fairly limited. But you've got to try and make it. You know, cut it loose and do the, mm. make it make it be free and do, you know, all sorts of strange and wonderful things. Not just because they're weird and wonderful, but try and realise what the emotion, you know, that that those I say those first shots in in Gladiator or um, you know, um, you know, Nicholas. I'm to ask Rowe. about the, like the the Robin you said was just a was just an accident. Is that? Is that something that you have a relationship with the director and they trust you enough that if you're, you suddenly spin the camera and you're filming a Robin? You know, we, we, we met about the film, I think it was on a boxing day or something, and there was one, there was a Robin bouncing around outside his window and we were sitting in this beautiful old house he had in Hampstead, this Georgian house, and it was just bouncing around on, the, on some you outside. And then on the day, I think we just, you know, there was a second unit and there was a camera and some humor, someone just, just grabbed it. That was a Robin. Shoot that Robin. Wow. And, and it was just, you know, I mean, there we were all were in the woods and we were probably on his patch, you know. I mean, suddenly, you know, turned up with a thousand people dressed to do nasty things to each other. And I think the Robin was a bit outraged. So that's, 
you know, so it was grabbed. It wasn't, you know, yes, the robin jumps for me. You know, so that that's the thing of you know you you do grab things you have to grab things sometimes and that's I think um, one of the great shames right now is that we do so many um, you know green screen films and we're stuck in studios and you yeah. come in you put the camera here and you know and you put your box next to it and you sit down and you look at it and you shoot a bunch of stuff or elements that then then they're going to be pieced together the camera's absolutely level. Mm flat on it's you know you're on a flat piece of concrete ground or wood if you're lucky and you look flat onto it and you light it in a particular way that's not to this and not to that so they can fiddle with it later and you know if you're on location something happens you know you're not on a level piece of ground you can't quite get that person to be on that hill yeah or be on the horse or the horse won't go up there so he so he's on the slope of the hill and it's a bit composition doesn't really work so you make it not work even more so it becomes a point and that's what makes you gives you identity and creative decisions and so i think really in quite a few of the directors they need to be outside they need to have things thrown in their way to make make them wake them up you know yeah um being in a green screen stage for weeks on end you need a bucket of cold water by the camera to stick your head in and try and <laughs> wait wake up because it's just it's excruciatingly dull um, you just you say just your focus pull alert here's the taser if you see me starting yeah. to nod off just give me yeah. a jab oh yeah <laughs> yeah no i remember they were asking me oh, which camera was best camera back in the day and i said a red was because it had a usb output so you could charge your phone while you're sitting there <laughs> big, big arrowplex now part of the short usb on there um so you know yeah i know it is it's a problem to to be stuck in that space i mean i think there's there's a bunch of you know films have changed undoubtedly and there's a bunch of uh, mm. you know new ways to make films or criteria or the, the younger crowd coming up like video games and things are slightly animated and built and composited anyway so they don't seem to mind that but um, for me if i was young Sims over now going into a greens, you know, I don't think I probably wouldn't do what I'm doing. Probably, mm. I think it would be, you know, I, I like the outdoors and, and the rolls of film and the batteries and the funny old lenses and optical viewfinders and climbing up, you know, going around the corner to see what's in the next valley. And, you know, we've got to get the actor up there. Or we can start with a double because it's a bit dangerous and we'll get him on the rope bridge and then we'll put the close up of the actor and we'll do that on some other ground. But now you wouldn't do any of that. I'll just shoot a background out somebody else would do that for you mm. and you put the rope ladder up in the studio in the studio and get screen screen so you know those sort of solutions of how we do this how we do that um you know even when they did lord of the rings which you think is a massive cg film which it was mm. you know um and a lot of you know people traveling this way and traveling that way and the ring and the big, big big journey and um they couldn't get horses up to certain uh certain places so you get a oh, cg horse no no they had a pantomime horse a pantomime yeah, horse. yeah they had a couple of dancers um and the friend of mine was having a thing with mine at the front end of the horse <laughs> but i mean no you know, it was you know, nice to watch that again and try and suss out which one's the pantomime no, you know they just needed uh you know i think they were dragging you know drag, you know so they had you know because to get a horse 
you know, somewhere like that on, yeah. you know, the helicopter, you, you know, you set them off three days in advance. Yeah. So they just hands my more. So they went up there with this, you know, not sure it's foamed out and it was muscled yeah, yeah. and all that. Sort of, but at a distance, you see, that works. And that's just a practical way to finish, to do that, you know. Though that's a thinking now. You just don't think that we'll just do the CG or do that. You just don't actually have to um, um, come up with crazy, with crazy solutions. And, and some of the, the agile thinking, I remember the Leicester book finder did a, uh, he was a great sort of, um, you know, pack shop, beautiful commercials when commercials were super glossy and everything had to work. And, you know, all of that stuff was in camera. You had to use lots of high speed cameras and, you filmed things backwards and you did also you shot things upside down and you know to make and you over you over you built over scales of um um uh sets or props you know mm. because the lenses were too they couldn't focus so you built yeah. an oversized things in focus with a massive telephone that's on the background but a pacific shot this hitchcock did that the whole time he did a a murder scene and, and the victim's glasses fall off like that and they fall off and then they, you see the whole um, murder take place through these glasses of him being mugged, you know, the glasses land and you see him struggling. I mean, so he built a massive pair of glasses and some huge grass for him to fall in so he could get the focus. Wow. But he knew the shot that would work. Now you just turn up with everything, with the fabulous heads and remote this and the da-da-da and you know, you can do anything, but you can't really do that. You've got to think about that beforehand. Mm. You've got to think about the shot. You've got to think about, you know, the pantomime horse or the glasses or, um, you know, that, that ability to, um, you know, think something. I, mean, I, mean, I think Ridley was doing, again, someone told me the story that he was doing a, a set and he wanted this massive hallway and he did this thing. And, and the producer said, no, no, you promised you wouldn't see the ceiling. You know, you, you built this set and I want to tilt up. You know, there was no CGI to drop in the ceiling. Yeah. And he came in in the morning, it was around Christmas time, with a with a with the inside plastic vacuum form of a box of chocolates. And, you know, with all the little scoop shape, little sort of like almost like an egg crate. You know? yeah. It had all this sort of strange sort of um these, you know, this weird support where all these little chocolates were like you know, supported and so they didn't crack or bleak or something like that. And he gave the art director to spray that black and shiny. And he did. And then they shot at a really deep stop and he slid it on top of the camera and made the ceiling with it. Wow. Out of a two foot or whatever, an 18 yeah. inch. And that, that's the thinking. And then remember, that's the book by the heat of this thing. He was doing, trying to do a poor shot for Perno, which was, you know, which was like one of those 70s drinks, 80s drinks. And if you pour Perno, it's kind of like a, you know, it's sort of, it's like sunflower oil, not that golden. And we used to cheat, we used to use, used to use like um, engine oil. Nice. To look better. Thicker and glossier, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And things like that, which you kind of, I think, you know, now you're supposed to use the real product. But I mean, so what? Who's going to, no. But then he could, he wasn't happy with that. He was trying to get the pour shot right. And so he went, sent out, he had a dancer friend come around. And they went down to Borovix on Berwick Street, bought some gold lame, and she was a dancer, and, he, and wrapped her up in it. And she put her hands above her head and it points her toes, and she just made this shape, and they wrapped the lame around her, and it, that was the paw. 
It was just, wow. and it, you thought, hmm, I really fancy a pony. And suddenly I'm thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, that kind of, um, I say the green screeny digital world now we're in where, you know, you, you, you think Gladiator won, won the award for uh, best visual effects, well, special effects and visual effects together. I'm, I'm still, I'm still, I think they still are, but anyway, visual effects. And there was a lot of real physical stuff in it, but it was only 50 shots. Um, now you go into the, even a small budget film has two or three hundred, you know, big visual effects film, thousands of shots. So mm. half of what you do as a cinematographer is going to be fiddled with or manipulated. So you are required to shoot elements. So that is not. Does it so still much. feel part of your film when you know you're just going to do something and then it's going to change? Well, not really. You know, I mean, you know, you're part of a team. You always, you always were part of a team. You know, your film. Yes. I am a director of corporate, or you know, I'm wearing a safari jacket and I've got a nice big moustache. <laughs> and one of those things. Oh. A little monocle. Um, my moustache, well, I've got mine growing in, in lockdown and quite liking yeah. it. I might buy a monocle. Like, you know, you used to read American cinematography. Oh, my God, with that thing that you go to sleep. Uh, and that, they were always like safari jackets, moustaches, you know, baseball hat pointing. Yeah. So, you know, um, no, you're always, you always were part of a team. Mm. You know, so yes, you know, there is far more, you know, visual effects um, designers, uh, creators, they come on very early now onto, yeah. um, you know, and they've got to be there early because they are, they're not just building backgrounds, they're creating creatures or entire yeah. characters yeah, yeah. that have to be written in. And then the actor needs to know what that thing is. So they've got to be able to show them at least you know, sort of animatic, well, they can do it now almost live to show this is what, this is who you're against, this is who you're talking to, this is who you're fighting, this is who. So, of course, that all happens before you, you don't, they don't need your opinion on that. I mean, they like to keep you involved and you get these incredibly long pre-production schedules for these big uh, visual effects films. But a lot of the time, to be honest, you're twiddling your thumbs waiting for something to do because until they decide or until you actually start, you know, going places and looking at locations, mm. um, you don't really have anything to say. Um, you, you, you can, they'll ask your opinion or what you think about this or what you think about that. Or, um, but, you know, that, that process of going to um, getting scripts, you know, I, I used to get a script, and then I, the first thing I do is I say it's, it's really difficult to read because they don't read nicely. They're not novels. They're not, you know, mm. they're not essay novellas. So, so the, I, I write. I, you know, write every as you meet the characters, they come up the page. Write them all down: their ages, what they are doing, who they are. Okay, some of them you, you the character develop, but you you know, pretty much they might give you a couple of notes on them. You know, what age they are, you know, what they think of themselves, you know, just a few lines. Mm -hmm. that you write all that down um, and immediately, you know, have a list of that beside me, you know, a list of things. And then I see what they're going to do. And, you know, when does that, when does she come in? Does she make an entrance? You know, it's quite important. Oh, you know, just walk through the door. I said, oh, come on, just walk through the door. What are you going to do with the camera? You're going to be over her shoulder. She walks through the door and everyone's going to look at this person. They're all going to think, oh, and they're looking past the camera at someone, you're thinking, you're waiting to see who that is. That's quite, that's, that's a better interest than she just comes in and plonks herself down in the chair in front of you. So how does someone make an entrance? 
is it important? I mean, and that's, an, and that's a real Hollywood thing, making an entrance. You know, but I think everyone should make an entrance, mm. even though it might be construed as nothing or a small entrance. They should, when you introduce a character. So once you've found them all and you know what they do, and then, you know, that stage, you probably meet the director or something. But then you, what I do is then write, um, you talk about, you know, see which way they want to take this film, whether they're very visual or they're not, or they're more interested in the players. And they want to lean on you for that, or they want to really get into the photography with you and really say, oh, I want this, I want that. Have you seen this? Have you looked at that? Have you seen this film? Look at this painting. And once you have that meeting, then I go away again and write, break the script down into everything. What I think, you know, imagining where this place is, what is this place? Is it a desert? Is it a cult? Is it a, an old mm. warehouse? What, what is this place? How does that um, creative process, is, is there a, are there kind of things that you like to start doing to get that, you know, you've got your script, it sounds like it's a bit of a, a mood board of sorts of, of your ideas. You get their feedback mm. and then it's like, how do you start visualizing? Is it tone? Well, is it a feel? It, 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 well, I mean, you know, you might, you maybe get some reference or you might go out on a Supreme or director's scout and go and look at some places and think, oh yeah, this is where they live. Well, I've never been to Dubrovnik. Go and let's see what that sort of town looks like or mm. what, I've never been to a um, a chicken processing plant, you know, like, you know, chicken, you know, something, you know, I better go and find out what that's like, you know, and, you know, weird machines and ripping animals apart and, you know, yeah, that's sort of, and what sort of sound does that make? What the smells mm. like? And, you know, that's, well, sound and smell, that's got nothing to do with photography. Well, it has because whatever's making that foul smell or whatever's making that noise is a machine and mm. you better justify that machine. You know, do you, the, the clumsy way to do it is just to do a shot of it. Here's the machine that's making the noise. Here's the actor. No, no, try and be on the machine, over the machine, looking through the actor who looks up at the machine and goes, ooh, that's a horrible machine making horrible noise and taking chicken's feet off. So that, so as soon as you go to a, a scout or a location, recce as we call it, you, um, you start building up, you know, these places and pictures of what, where these people might live and how they, uh, how they survive. I remember the beginning of the getaway. Um, what was it, Sam Fuller? I can't remember. But McQueen's sort of in some southern jail, and there's this noise of these cotton machines mm. going a whole time. It's a really good entrance to film, and. Um, you know, you just realise this horrible existence he has. You know, in a prison, he's got some work to do, which I don't know gives him a little bit of privilege. But where they work is just horrible. You know, it's just noise and it's dangerous and dirty, and and that you know that using that sound or you know where where I am here, you know that you know you could do you beautiful shots of the sea outside, but mm. the birds, the noise the birds make, you know. Um, so, so all of those things you're absorbing about a location, about a place, about a thing. And when you've seen all those and you've met with the director, then you start really writing down and thinking, how do we get in there? And wouldn't it be great to transition from the sort of, from the sort of, uh, the rattly dinner tray trolley to the, to the, 
the chicken machine to use that as a visual, well, using sound as well to, to bridge that into the next scene. I'm always looking for transitions, ways in and out of out of um, scenes, you know, um, which I think is a bit lost now. Everyone likes to do is one take wonder things, you know. I think cuts are great. I like cuts. You know, they're very powerful. Um, you know, um, you say you know, like cut of a man the week or cut to a close-up eyes, cut to a robin, just simple cuts. You know, they're not. You don't have to this. They want design these shots that go around. And, and there's a new action now film out now. Said, oh, yeah. I watched it the other night. I thought I was watching something with the girls. Uh, I thought it was a Netflix thing, and it was decidedly average. I thought. And this sequence went on for, and then there was a story about it, and there was a big thinking, well, actually, how we did this for 11 minutes? It was 11 minutes. I, you know, I didn't think it, I, you know, I thought there were cuts, and they, they did probably, you know, use body wise and stuff, but yeah. I just thought it was boring. I was bored. You know, I'll watch someone being thrown through too many walls or being thrown out the window or having shelves of glass cases being smashed on their heads too many times. It mm. just, um, so, I, you know, do it once. It's great. I mean, I, I worked at the British Board of Film Censors. Well, I didn't work there, but I was under, under, underground there uh, in a, in a um, small, dry, higher place. And we had steam decks, which were these all ways to show film. Yep. You put the film on one thing and you put the soundtrack on another. And you know, before films, before they married or before that process had happened, sometimes you were still working on the cutting copy and you were cutting the sound and the film at the same time. And then you marry the two things together, made your release prints. So, but at that stage, they had this film ready to go out. And they said, they had a sequence of the British Royal Film Census came out. And I think it was a Sam Ramy thing. Um, I think it was one of Evil Days. I'm pretty sure it was. I had to ask him because I'm about to do um, this film thing there. But anyway, this guy comes through the door and um, it's a zombie thing. He hits him, this, the good guy hits him with an axe or something. It's a big machete, and the zombie falls back, and it's really not shocking. And then the zombie gets up and he hits him again, and he hits him again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And it became, you know, comic, it became funny. Mm. And the British film says, Oh, that's you know, that's too far. I thought, No, no, it kind of takes it away because you, know, you see the zombie, my god, he chops it, he gets back up again, chops me. But he keeps chopping bits fly off him, and you know, and he just keeps it gets crazier. And I said, Well, it's actually, it takes the you know, the shock is horror, and then you kind of laugh. And they said, That's too violent. So they said, Take all the subsequent shots out. Mm. So this thing comes in, and this guy gets walloped, and it was incredibly violent and horrible. Yeah, <laughs> and they made it worse. So that's my thing with when you have these action sequences when people go get thrown through walls or something. And mm. I remember when we did Logan, James Mangold said, Listen, when someone gets thrown out the window or something falls on top of them like a pile of bricks. That's bad shit. They don't get up again. That's it. Yeah. And everyone said Logan was violent film, but it wasn't. It just, you know, it just, he used cuts. He great believer in cutting. Mm -hmm. But he did things and they didn't go on for hours. You know, mm. you know you did, this sequence was 11 minutes. You know, I went up and made tea for him. Came back, still going on. Still there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyone want a sandwich? Yeah, I'll go ahead. Yeah. What I'd really like to do is take one of those, one of these, I, mean, I don't know, everyone's, you know, obviously there's been this, you know, crisis now, but they're saying that we don't have enough women in our industry, there's not enough diversity, and, all and it's also too, you know, we should be you know, working more with women. 
and um, which is absolutely right. But they said women in crisis. I think men are in crisis. That men have to run around wearing spandex with lasers coming out their nostrils and going and throwing people through walls wearing these muscled up suits and that never, you know. They probably take the acting school now. There's probably like a, a good two months of just wearing green screen and pretending you're in these environments that you're never actually. Yeah, or just training, getting really buff. I mean, all these normal actors now you can go, oh, or actually, you know, which is even better. They, you put it on, it's on the suit, you know, it's great. Just don't nice. go to the gym, just go. <laughs> yeah, nice. I need one of them. <laughs> yeah, we've got one of those coming up, you know. Uh, and they're, they're very good, I have to say, these days. They're, they're very uh, clever. And then you put your clothes on top. But, I mean, I, I, what I'd like to do is, is go to some of my friends from the ballet or something and uh, get the Royal Ballet to do a performance piece of... Um, because, you know, that thing of like when the hero comes to the door and he kills everyone. But you, you have to wait until I can shoot you and I get to you and you wait. Right? You know, yeah. it's almost like, so I'd like to sort of like give it to the Royal Ballet and make it really camp. Because it is dancing. Yeah, and have you know these guys? You know, all with the you know the, the beautiful ballerinas and the fantastic leading men with with their AK forty sevens, and they can dance around the stage, and then you know how they shoot and pull the gun off. Yeah. This thing, and it's all dancing, and just make it's it like the producers. It's like that springtime for Hitler. You know, you got <laughs> yeah, but I mean, make it make it really camp and stupid to realize how camp and stupid these films are. What's this muscular, stupid thing that you have to have these suits with the velcro all over them and you come through the gun the door with my gun and i can see much better if i look around my gun my gun is my eye thing which is this proving thing and then shoot you and i get your gun and shoot you back and the hero never gets shot i uh, never gets hurt and um oh he does he gets really messed up and has a cup of tea feels much better and 15 minutes later he's smashing people through walls again but then you do this anime do this lovely ballet thing but then have all the other guys because you know they have to feel loads done um, I have them in a waiting room, not in a waiting room, I have them on stage actually, on stage in the Royal Park, but like in the doctor's waiting room, sitting on a bench, reading Country Life, waiting for a turn or doing a crossover to go up and be thrown across the stage or thrown in the orchestra uh, at the right time. I mean, it's, uh, are we writing right. this now? Is this, am I part of the copyright process? Because I feel like well, I, <laughs> your mind just because I, well, I can't watch these yeah. damn films, yeah. I mean, everyone's doing. All these kind of slightly older actors have all got these little franchises where they, mm. they, they they've all got these, you know, they're little you know, sort of divorced, got like a cute daughter somewhere, and you know, special forces, uh, you know, the rest, and they go off and they just you meet some guy, and then you took ninety pages in which to murder him on the last forty minutes of pure like tosh. Um, I don't know how do we end up on this rant? I love um, it. But have you seen films change? Because it's like, you know, where we are now, we have everything that's happening and it's green screen and it's this and it's body suits. And mm. that's not where we've come from. And you've, have you, you know, no. what, was your, what was your starting point to become, to get where you are? Well, to, I, well I mean, I, I mean well, how did I get going? I mean, or how did films end up the way they were? I have no idea how films ended up. I don't know why. I mean, I'm just, you know, I don't know how we met this rut. Of superheroes and men in lycrans you know, mm. flying around, around green blankets in their underpants, you know, with lasers coming out of their nostrils. I don't know how we ended up there, I and mean, I just I was just waiting for it to end. And when when Joe, um, Joe Caracciolo asked me to do come out and meet James Mangle to do Logan, 
you know, I said, oh, you know, I don't know if I'll come. You know, it's just not my thing. You know, I've got an expert thing. He said, no, 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 John, you're going to get him out. Come out and meet him. I said, no, Joe, look, you know, I might come down and say no. You know, you know so I don't want you to fly me out there. He said, you, you, you've read it. He said, yeah, yeah. Then you have a fucking... I said, well, I read most of it. He said, you realize we kill him? I said, you kill Wolverine? You kill him? I said, we're going to kill him. I'm in. I'll kill him. That's it. <laughs> and then, of course, you meet Hugh, Hugh Jackman, who's incredibly irritating. He, he knows everyone's name. He's charming. He can sing. He can dance. He can cook. He, all the girls love him. And then, of course, we kill him. And, oh, we kill Hugh Jackman. <laughs> I don't know how he ended up in this, like, in this Marvel comic strip, DC, repeated, mm. yeah. random, random. My two one, my daughters in the background, they're kind of getting a bit tired of themselves. I don't know if it's the age they are or whether in fact everyone's getting a bit worn out by them, but yeah. they're certainly they certainly still keep making these things. So I don't know how that ended up, you know, making films you know, you, when I got into it, the films were unusual. There was the killing girls, there was thirty, there was uh, um, you know, the Louise, there was the hunger, there was, you know, lots of sort of Chinatown, uh, Providence Now, you know, nice. you know I mean, yeah, great. Also, yeah, you know, the Godfather, you know, these huge big films that weren't nice. really, they were kind of one offs. There were no franchises, there mm. were no one, twos, and threes. They were just films, great stories. Um, so I don't know how we ended up here, but you're neither now making these films for hundreds of millions and hundreds of millions mm. and you don't have to be that good you know you don't you, know, you switch on yeah, these digital cameras and they kind of do it all for you and you've got weeks and weeks to make them or, or then you get a really small film and you're scrubbing like dogs under the table for scraps for a camera for this for a day yeah. of that also there's or like even if you, you, you know, with no visual effects, you know, you've got to actually make those shots working and go back to like pantomime horses. You've got to get creative again. We, yeah, yeah. No, you, the, 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 the ironic thing is that, you know, these young cinematographers coming up, whether they uh, get to be, you know, uh, you've got to be a lot better than I am on one of these big ones. You know, it's almost like you should do these big green screen things first. You, I mean, you can turn up. You can turn, I mean, talk about being home. You can turn up drunk, and like, you know, someone will look after that camera for you. You do yeah. not have to. It is. It is. Does it become a different job then? So on those bigger jobs, I, is it just more about managing either one expectation yeah. or two yeah. people, or what? What? Yeah, it is. I mean, you realise how big the crew gets. You know, mm. if you know, they get massive, massive crews. I mean, that there was something, you know, some legal thing went on recently with me and I had, to, I had to count the crew and see who was doing what and blah 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 and it was a big sequence um you know we, we were big for quite a few days mm. but you know had five cameras and all that you know five cameras running full crews you know full crews um and and then you've got all those people attached you've got you know you've got loads of grips um loads of standbys chippies carbons plumbers um, and then you've got all your electricians and then special effects people who I, you know, really, I just, I, you know, need them all the time with me for this, for that, smoke, whatever it is, can you do this? And standby art directors are sort of like, you know, on set art directors right next to me, not 
of doing fancy set building. I mean, on set, right, we need a wall there. We haven't got a wall. Go and nick the wall from the other set we had there. They bring that around here. Yeah. Or have you seen we're looking this way? Oh, no, we weren't supposed to be looking that way. What have you thought about? Well, I've thought about this. Okay, great. Thank you. So, you know, my immediate crew on, I thought it was, um, or people that, that I will come to me with their individual gangs, their swing gangs, whatever. I thought was 75. You know, she was 111. What? I know. It's <laughs> but it needed to be done. Yeah. But, but the, I mean, saying counting the, the chippies, the things, the bills, you know, what I need, to, I need to build a crane, but the ground's not right. I need to, mm. you know, we need a pile of construction yeah. there. So there'll be like, God knows how many, you know, carpenters and construction guys and, you know, big, big heavy riggers rigging, you know, so, you know, that's a lot of people. So, yes, it does become about that. Um, and the tendency is, or danger is, you end up in a tent away from the action, you know, yeah. watching all these monitors. And that's, it's good because you can coordinate. And, you know, I've got, well, sometimes I have two radios, but normally, you know, if I have to have two, I have to have two. But I've always got a radio. I'm going between my camera crew, the operators, the special effects guys. The, the sparks, the riggers, the grips. So I'm talking, and then the AD. So I'm talking to seven channels mm. at one time. You know, you know, there's an AD yourself. You know, you're always bouncing around. Yeah. But I'm, and you know, and because that, and I didn't have to do that when I started. <laughs> you just said, well, oh, you, you know, this. when you yeah, when you first started, it was like, here's my camera, this is my script, yeah. here's a director, let's go shoot a film. Whereas, whereas mm. now it's it's. <laughs> It, it sounds a yeah. lot more logistical at that top end. No, it is. I mean, I think there was always logistics there, but you have to be better at it. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. you know, cool sheet, you know, oh, fuck me. I mean, to get a cool sheet now at the end of the day, it's like, come on, guys. You know, they used to have them printed out ready. This is what we're doing next day. Mm. And, you know, you know, and, you know they'll, they'll, they'll email it to you and something's changed and because they can change it rather than sticking to the guns. You know, it's like you know, you, you you get a list of what you're supposed to do in the day, whether it's shopping, dropping the kids off, da, 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 and you get yourself sorted out. As soon as you walk out the front door, you're on your mobile phone, mm. sorting something else out because you haven't actually sorted it out. If you used to have to leave the house, you get a fax, maybe if something had gone wrong, a fax, you know, would be sent to you. Yeah, just shiny crap paper, you know, come out of some machine. Oh, Mr. Matheson, you know, up in Hebrew, you want a fax? And they'd come a fax machine running down the quayside, waving pieces. Bog paper at you. Um, so yeah, you'd have, you'd, you're right. And my, my first two films, not my no, like second or third film, I think I had, um, I didn't have video assist. The AD, wow. the, sorry, the, um, the director stand behind the camera and said, what lens are you on? So, you know, 16. And he'd stand and he'd watch and he didn't have headphones on because he could hear what the actors were saying. Why did he mm. put headphones? Because he could hear, you know, you don't, when I'm normally talking to someone across the room, do I have to have headphones on? No, I don't have fucking headphones on. So yeah. he'd see what I was doing. And, you know, if I would run forward, he'd run in behind me and he'd try not, he'd stay right on the back of the magazine. Which, I mean, other, like, you know, he wasn't alone doing this. Mm. And, you know, so the focus was off the side, the grips guiding one side. And there was a space for him looking over the top of the magazine straight at the actor. And then sometimes I'd, you know, do this and say, oh, Jeremy, you end up um, at the end of the shot with you. No, I pound off her. Oh, oh shit, sorry. No, it's interesting. I did this reaction to what he's saying. I would have been the other way. But, you know, he, 
that you know that was sort of operate well in, in France you operate the camera or you expect to you know. um, but um, but you know these were low budget films and you used to operate and stuff but that was um, yeah you know you were all together if someone said something you were usually all in the mini bus whether it was the art director the assistant director whatever and everyone would hear it now you arrive and you know you run on set in the morning you think you're doing this you're lighting that and says you know and someone rushes I think I've retrieved something retrieve what retrieve what we did yesterday. Oh God, what happened to what you said? No, we rewrote it overnight. Sorry, you rewrote it overnight? Like <laughs> after we'd shot it? It didn't occur to you when you've had this script for like a year and a half to write Jesus. it sometime before we shot it? Yeah. And, you know, you, and you, you go back again, the actors, and you see their shoulders drop. And, you know, even, I'm like, you know, everyone gets paid and we all do it. You don't want to do that. You want to be ticking right. things off. Yeah. And, there's so much, you know, the scripts are so slow in coming on the big films. You never really see one. Uh, is you that know, a secrecy creative... thing or are they just trying to... I don't know what about. I just don't think they can make their minds up. Hmm. You know, if you've got a small script, like a small film, you've got to get that script ready and dusted and done and then you send it out to your friends or agents or to actors' agents or, you know, slip under, you know, slip under a cameraman's door, camerawoman's door, excuse me. Um, you, you slip it under their door and say, oh, what do you think of this? Yeah, great. You know, um, now you, you sign up on a film, I mean, the last few huge films, I, I didn't see a script until, I think I've got one, what was it? I got a, whip, a script, I got a script, completed script one week, week after we finished shooting. After? After. Did you say after you finished shooting? I did say, <laughs> completed script. Um, you know, you How go, do you, you make a through, decision? You know, you know. I, I well, guess uh, the, uh, of, you know. But you, you, you know, you get the pages come in. You start mm. white. Yep. You get pink, blue, red, golden, yellow, golden rod. Then the then you go back again. Second pink, second blue. Second, you know, your scripts end up. You know, it should be this thing, not this thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, you can't. No, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to design. You know, a color arc of the film you think well you know it's talking about introducing characters hmm. how do we you know how do, where does it move to you know where are we now how do, in the story and if someone's going to do this move it all around um not in the tarantino way but you know really move it around you think fuck me you know, i didn't realize and and, and then and then they then you know it doesn't work because they didn't, they moved something that should, they shouldn't move, and they did a rewrite overnight. I've rewritten overnight. Oh, great, great! But sometimes it's a really bad idea because when, when you rewrite overnight and you've changed someone's lines or changed something in the script and story-wise, that can be a very bad idea because they could have taken months to arrive at that thing. Might be the most not the most spectacular thing, but it, it does affect this, which affects that, which affects the story. Mm. You can't just take something out and make it more fancy, and then go down the line and go, oh fuck me, that still doesn't work. Um, so you you know the script is so important to get it right, and then it should be locked in a box, and no one should be allowed to touch it. Um, well, that's when you can use the taser again that you're giving to your focus bullet. If anyone well, goes to rewrite the script, producers fiddle, the actors fiddle, the director yeah. rewrite. You know, he's trying to save it quite often. The, the writer's driven mad. They get another writer in. You know, um, mm. you can go through so many writers. Um, yeah, so that that side of the, that. You know, the scripts are, that is really a problem, I think. Mm. And it's a problem for me and many of us. 
that you don't really know what the hell you're going to make. I mean, you kind of do because, you know, you're making a film with a number opera quite often, but um, when you don't have, you can't, you know, it's so, you know, because you work out, you work out the characters, you work out the transitions, you work out where you want to be. And then someone comes and fiddles with it all and you, you start shooting, you think actually, you know, that unravels everything. Mm. You think, oh, that would be all right. It doesn't because something you were going to do or as I say, they've got a color arc or mood or light and someone just, just tears that up. And Does it, it just take of, all of the prep shoot. that you've done, you know, and all of a sudden you're then having yeah. to think on your feet and you're scrambling. And that to me is when mm. things get, no, made, I, yeah, mistakes I, I, get made. I, um, you know, like we haven't shot on, you know, sets have just stood there and, and then they've been torn down. And then someone asks, oh, we can shoot that set. Oh, said, no, we took it down. Why'd you take it down? Because you didn't like it. Well, we, we could do the other scene there. Well, stays. You know? yeah. um, and I, I've had two, I've had, I remember one film, I had two green screen stages, which is exactly the same. They were 120 foot square. They were 40 foot, 30 something, 35 foot high. I boated it out with 10Ks and 20Ks. <laughs> and the producer said, why do you want two of these stages? I said, I don't want two green screen stages. The whole idea is green stage, you can be in Paris, you can be in Baghdad, you, mm. you, know, you can be in Windsor Castle, you can be anywhere you want to be. Why have you got two of them? I don't know. But the original effects people wanted two of them. No one ever found out why we had two stages exactly the same. I think the floor was slightly different on one of them. Um, but then again, you could cover the floor. I think that just, just change the floor, yeah. But by that stage, that was we said we were we were just on our back foot. We didn't know what we were doing. Mm. The script was changing all the time. You just turn off to work, and you've got all this fancy equipment. I mean, at least with Ridley, at least you're using it all. But sometimes you've just got bits of kit just lying around, doing nothing. And when I did the X Men First Class, I had seven units, not seven cameras, wow. seven units. And it was like a bridge too far. You know, they, they just clog up the road. Can you be on the... set when it's when it when you get to that point? You got seven crews out. Can you actually get behind well, the camera? Not seven crews. No, I'm talking seven units. Units. Each one of those units had two or three cameras. The, oh, the boat okay. unit. I had a marine unit, a battle unit, an aerial unit, boat, another boat unit. Uh, this wire people, which wasn't really under my thing because it was mm. done by the. Uh, uh, the wire guys. The wire guys yeah. Shoot. yeah. Um because I guess uh, that one's you're kind of getting rushes. Do you look do would you watch all of those well, yeah, as it happens? Watch, uh, or? A lot of them are, I mean a lot of these big action films we don't do very much every day. It's just a couple of you know, they take up a long time to set up a wire or a whiz. Mm. But I mean there was one unit you'd you'd I you know they'd come in the way and they'd say, John, John, we're ready. I said, you know, see that shack on the way onto the beach this morning down the long road that we're shooting at yeah you know with a traffic jam was yeah well can you go to that shack in this big car park there you just go there and then it gets about 11 o'clock and i've got 10 missed calls that's john john yeah we're there we're there is it yeah go and have lunch and have a few bloody marys and a prawn cocktail <laughs> don't fucking ring me again you know you, you're just in the way you know yeah. um bless them they wanted to work but we oh, i don't know we were just sort of I mean, we, you know, I mean, it was the film was fine in the end, but we did spend some money. Mm. Um, but that, yeah, then going back to saying, there's a lot of logistics um, that have come in. So, um, yeah, it's management, isn't it? It's management of mm. all these things. 
And is it is it somewhere to... where you thought, I guess, can you even envisage that as a possibility, or is it just that the industry's changed so much that it's now become the job? You know, when you first started, it probably was well, never. A... I mean, you know, no one really had more than one camera. You know, you do a special day with lots of extras or two or three cameras. I mean, you don't. You know, this thing with like now you have A, B, C. You know, loads of cameras. No, so more cameras, and then they need more. As you know, they'll need more ads. Mm-hmm. And they'll need more grips, and they'll need more, you know, guys to chippies to build, you know, the track level the track. They'll need more. They'll need props. They'll need some extras to be put next to them. They'll need uh, some special effects. They'll need so the whole thing. As soon as you get another camera, everything gets bigger. Um, and there's no point in having lots of cameras unless you can actually have all the right extra ads, extra extras, extra because it's just they're just. They're just paying the arts. There's nothing for them to do, or they can't. They're being over here, over here. You know, you. Um, so, um, yeah, and that, that, you know, that, that was, you know, people, I think because you didn't really have video assist, I think people used to stand next to the camera, they'd look through, they'd get the viewfinders out. You know, you used to get a lot of those shots of ADs and the director standing by the camera looking down that optical viewfinder to see mm. what they'd see. Um, and a lot of discussion about that. So there was a lot more at the nucleus on the set where the buzz was. There you knew that's where things are. Now you can sit with these fantastic monitors, which are the price of Ferraris, and you can sit in a tent and your ADs can run around and uh, orchestrate the whole thing for you, um, which is dangerous because you know, you're not with the set on the actors as a director mm. you know, getting... You know, they're getting talked to publicly over a sort of, and rather than having those quiet conversations, um, hearing it over the radio, or worse still, over a loud hailer, um, or hearing it set through an AD, which isn't the best. Um, and you know, as as a DP, what's there's that word again? As a cinematographer, you, um, yeah, you can do the same thing. You can sit down all day. Mm. And it's important, I think, to go around, you know, talk to your crews and say, right, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? That's how I see you. What, what I really need is a, something now. Okay, we'll, we'll sort that out. Their voice isn't big enough to get the art department to do something or they just, the, the first AD is busy with the director. He can't be with a C camera. So, so that's when your role comes in to make sure that if you're going to have all these cameras out, you better make sure they'll be doing something that's worthwhile. You might not be getting everything, but you might get a crucial cut or a crucial moment mm. of the scene of action. So they haven't got to set up the whole damn thing again just for that shot. Um, so, you know, that's the way to use those cameras is to use them to pick up or highlight to bridge the action shots rather than just everyone films everything um, because any one camera can be up on screen at one time. Mm. Um, so there's no point in having lots of stuff um, I think that's one of the problems is that uh, editorial department, you get guys doing transfers all night with just so much volume of materials coming. Um, you know, when we used to shoot with Rid and stuff, you know, he was sort of seems a multi camera guy, but mo- you know, most of Gladiator was three cameras, two really, two or three cameras, sometimes five, but mm-hmm. usually that was the two from the second unit that came. Now you just like, that's normal, there's loads and loads of cameras. Um, but, um, and you know, sometimes there'll be a crash camera here or there and you'll just be doing a 
chariot turning over or something being buried yeah. and cable to it. So it wasn't really operated on. So um, when you say you have eight cameras, it really doesn't mean that you, you, know, you don't really have five maybe. But that, that thing of him using them very economically in terms of cuts and how to cover the action, you know, um, if something was going to run past you and it, let's say they get the timing wrong, if you put a camera further down the hill, then if the action slips or stunt goes wrong, then that camera's going to be in the right place. Mm. So you ran them for a short amount of time, set the action up and cut them. Um, and now with digital cameras, of course, they let the cameras run all the time. There's so much transfer to be on. Things get slack. You know, the, the candles burn down, the smoke goes away, the extras all end up down one end because they haven't had time to reset them because they can't sustain the action for 30 bloody minutes. It was designed for you know, 30 seconds. And so there's this kind of like you just shoot loads of stuff and then people come in and CG fix it, add in extra, add in. But that discipline of actually shooting when the set goes hot, shooting, and that, I have to say, was part of shooting on film rather than digital, is that people were a lot more disciplined about, you know, when that little thing ran, they understood that noise and that celluloid yeah. going through the gate. It was expensive. Get it right. Yeah. And, um, There's a sound of pounds know, just kind of fluttering through. Yeah. Well, it is. You know, that people, people argue that, that little, those little frames are expensive. Mm. They are more expensive. But when you, when you shoot so many cameras and you shoot so many footage every day, then film becomes cheaper again. And, mm. you know, pound for pound, it is more expensive. But I will not hear producers tell me it's cheaper or it's better to shoot digital because it isn't. And I did it on a film quite recently on, um, and we went to this old Herbalt who was, you know, big old time guy, legendary. He said, oh, you want to shoot film? Blah, blah, blah. And I thought, well, okay. And the visual effects guy, he wanted to do it. And um, the director did. And so we went, and we said, and they said, oh, you better make sure you don't shoot too much, and blah, blah, blah. And we had to do a lot of rehearsals because a lot of CG elements to go into it, but they wanted to shoot film. I thought, okay, fine. Um, so we did. And our shooting ratio went right down. It went right down. You know, it channels, it narrows the vision. You have to you yeah, know, rehearse I mean, without turning. And... So what we did really, you know, we'd go in, we'd shoot in gladiator, big sequences, King Heaven. We'd shoot about, it was always about, at the end of the day, it was 15 minutes of rushes. You know, yeah. never mind, never more than that, really. Mm. Even with multi cameras, of course, you chuck out some of the chaff, you know, mistakes yeah. or jams or whatever's happening. But it's 50 minutes of material to see from all the cameras, all the angles, and the big dialogue. Um, okay, if there's a big dialogue scene and a lot of talking, maybe you're going to get through five, six pages, really. So, okay, I've got that. Can I move on? See the next take. I want to see take. But anyway, so we used to go to Russia in the day, and the whole process is about 50 minutes, 45 minutes. Sit in, you'd have a glass of wine or da da da. You'd have something snacky to eat and it was a great process to do because you go down and sit with the editor the continuity myself producer and we say you know what that could be better or that person we're worried about actually that's fine now we see them on the film and we'd actually see that a day and we see 50 minutes a day and that's what we went down to on pokemon um um, that's an interesting we, like I kind of going through the films and pokemon stood out as like the one where I thought oh it's an interesting choice of film, was it something that you kind of went? I just want to try my hand at this, or what, what was it about? No, it's, it was mind Joe, the guy who got me to do logo. Actually, he said, "I'll come and do it." Um, okay. Meet everyone. You'll know they're really nice, and I did. And um, um, you know, um, 
Uh, but no, the, my agent at the time was trying to get me to do um, Marvel, Captain Marvel or something like that. And I said, I'll do Pokemon. He said, oh, why do you want to do that? No, 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 this is much better. I said, much better? Sorry. Like, laser time or a little furry. What's the, what's the fucking difference? You know, yeah. when one came home and, and I think we had more fun. We, you know, it was really nicely designed. Um, and why did you uh, want to shoot on film for that? Because it seemed... They did. They, I, I mean, I'd, I'd always put it up. And that was easy. Yeah. But what was interesting about that film, you see, normally, you know, and I love the fact that um, Dan Mandel and, um, you know, quite a few DPs um, and um, Chris Nolan and stuff, they love Tom Cruise insists on shooting film, Nolan does, and a few others. And I think, you know, bless them for doing that. But when you do these big, big, iconic, you know, films like Star Wars or Star Trek and you get this sort of, this sort of, the spaceship flying past the rings of Saturn and down mm. into a canyon and just through the atmosphere. And that is a hundred CG, that is a hundred percent CG image. That is a hundred percent animation. That comes yeah. out of computer. Though there might be a live man there. You know, there he is. That's that's the information. That's my finger in the frame. That's the live guy. <laughs> but with Pokemon, mm. there were real places. Mm. Everything was real. Okay, you got a little you were dropping yeah. something into a real life well, instead of yeah. building the life. Well, I've got my dog who was stood in for, he's over there. Um, he stood in for Pikachu. But, you know, so the background was real. The actors mm. were real. The patients were real. Yes, there was a CG animal. But in terms of percentage of the frame, mm. it was small. Tiny. And some of, these, some of these big films that they shoot on film, you think, okay, the actors are real. But the rest of it, you know. Yeah percentage of information that I'm looking at is not, and, but anyway, I don't, I'm not, that's not a criticism. I think it's fantastic. They do that. And I, and God, I hope they continue to do that. But for that film, for that, that was a good thing to do because, mm. you know, we, okay, we had, anim, we had animated things. We, they, they'd rehearse it with Starfield or they'd rehearse it with my dog. Actually, that dog in a bit. Because he's the same size and they liked his eyes. He had good reflections. And then we'd, you know, taking my, and then everything else was real. And we went, you know, we were, we were in some pretty gnarly places. We were in Scotland. We threw the actors in a, in a lock up there. There was frozen water. And we took wow. the other actors down to Justice down to, um, to Chatham Docks and threw him in this, threw him in the, well, threw him in a fish tank there and freezing cold. And then, you know, we, we, we went up and down the country and mm. shot London for London. And then, um, Yes, there was some CG and built big, beautiful sets. Um, so, you know, it was, I don't know if that's the answer to your question, but it was a... Uh, no, it makes sense. It, was, it, a, make it sense. was a film film. And, yeah, yeah. and also, you know, just, we'd just seen Blade Runner. And um, we thought, oh, yeah, that's great. But then we thought, well, let, well, let's make it look like Ridley's Blade Runner because it was also this Japanese lilt, Asian thing. Mm. So there was lots of neons and night streets and you know you know quite a few secrets like that now you do not want to point a digital camera straight at bright neon light they just mm. don't really like it oh they can handle this they'll handle that but the nice thing about film is that you could have someone you know cooking uh with his wok and there was a neon above him with some light bulbs and the steam was coming from smoke and everything you know clipping or when a camera clips it's not sexy it's not interesting it's just bad but overexposing film looks cool. So 
And Morbus Grey, you can have the color, you know, the colors didn't go too noisy. You get really noisy. Um, um, the integrity of the color on digital is, mm. isn't as good. I just refuse to, to, to I mean, you know, talk about resolution, but I, I'm all about, I like, well, resolution is very important. But color, the color rendition, Kodak, after all those years, and their 27 dyes and whatever they do, those baths, or 27 baths, whatever it was, they got very, very good at color. You know, if you see a red, um, like a poppy red, or a sort of a, sort of a dark, rust red there's a tendency in video to it to go primary red or post box red mm. guardsman red no i said no, no it's a rust red it's a poppy red it's a bit more orange in it so these colors i find tend to polarize towards their primaries and you lose cyan so give me a good cyan no one's done that yet digitally um you know the, the ones with the secondary colors those are very important to me when you and digital I mean, when you can light it inside, it's great, but it just doesn't do that so well. And you can use really intense colors in Pokemon, which we did. You know, it's a crazy world. They lived in lots of color and craziness. Um, Tokyo at night kind of feeling. Um, you didn't have to worry about it. And the colors were great. with deep purples and golds and... Um, you know, the, you, you know that, was a, that was a real release. Mm. Um, have those colors and also it was just you know i had to really concentrate every day you know not that mm, turn up switch the camera on yeah it'll do it for you got a dip guy i had to really you know you i had the light meters and i was out and you know it was the the the, 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 the technical struggle and the magical chemistry of the film thing which i learned over the years and i kind of like think i got quite good at it is is a real it's a real challenge and it's a really, it's a really, it's a thing that, it's one of the delights of being, getting it right as a, as a cinematographer, to get that, that balance of exposure right. Um, digital, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't, really doesn't matter. You don't use it like, you don't, you don't even have to look with your eye anymore. You look, you look at the monitor. You know, mm. you know um, And did you, you know, learn so that process I, of film growing up? Were you, did you spend yeah. long, you know, the, well, I mean, everyone talks to me, let's call it, call it video, because that's what it is. This yeah. is a video conference call I'm having with you. Yeah. Um, and they still have the same problems. Video comes digital. It was digital. Remember when Turbo came out? Turbo, Turbo this, Turbo that. I don't remember, you're too young. Turbo came out. Turbo this, Turbo this, Renault Turbo, g Turbos. You could buy Turbo sunglasses. You could buy Turbo skis. I couldn't find on the skis I, I rented. I had to I couldn't find the petrol injection in the actual pair of skis that made these skis go faster. They're to so digitals, this word they bang about, digital, it seems digital, it's infinite, it doesn't lose quality. It's fucking, you know, it might not lose quality, but the cameras can't record the colours I see. Mm. Um, and so um, when, when we started, we, I started by shooting video. I didn't, you wouldn't let me shoot film. I was doing video, corporate video, weddings, doing all sorts of stuff. Nice. I mean, yeah, film was expensive. So like mm. when, and I remember first shooting HD was Sony built out these cameras in 1987 for a Genesis tour. We had these, so it ain't that new. Mm. You know, it's not this fantastic revolution. So they, they had these cameras, they were beautiful and they're very good. They're widescreen format, not three by four, whichever ones. Uh, they're incredibly slow, they're not really good at low light. But they, they, they'd exist, you know. Um, so 
I had a Super 8 camera, which I always shot my dad got me a second-hand Super 8 camera, which again, expensive as a little cassette thing. Should... So I did that, and I used to mess around with some friends. I went to a part-time film course. It wasn't very good. But I did meet a bunch of people who were, like me, trying to struggle. And we shot 16. We could shoot um, low-band video, as it called it, which was a half-inch, a three-quarter-inch tape mm. um, on a big cassette, you know, about the size of your iPad. Big mm. thing, fat thing. And then um, you, know, you could do a two machine edit on the Sony RM440. And there are these two low band machines. And the third one you could actually do with dissolves and stuff, really high tech. Or you could shoot film. And we shot film, usually reversal, then transferred it. Or we just made a cutting copy with a sound next to it. And we used to mess around with that. And reversal was great because you only had to process it once. And then you've got the instant image. Negative, you had to shoot it, print it cut it, go back. And that's when, you know, film was expensive. Yeah. And to go to film school was incredibly expensive. And film schools even, well, even today are expensive, but they can, you know, you can actually learn a lot more now because you don't really have to shoot film. But mm. I've noticed that an awful lot of students are, are fascinated by film. My daughter, you know, is not so interested in, in, in movies, but she, mm. I bought her a digital camera, stills camera, and she said, oh, something wrong with it, something wrong with it. I don't know. I looked at it. There's nothing wrong with it. I just don't like it. I don't like the color. It's just don't like it. So what's that? I said, well, that's, that's a Nikon FE. And that's a Nikon F. What is that? Well, that takes film. Oh, well, that's what I'll do that. Ooh, hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's but it is. Yeah, yeah. It's focused. Well, you set the, R, the ASA up on the back. And it says mm -hmm. on the 400, you put 400 on the thing. You wind it on until it goes zero on top. And, you, and you've got the shutter speed, click, click, or click, and you've got the RS, tick, 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 which opens. That is it. And then you look through it, it all looks like it's you're in the shower, and then fucking focus the thing. And, and she, um, she became, she, you know, she's got trash, and people notice her. You know, and she did a thing the other day, and I said, well, look, get you, I've got a digital shot of that. You know, you, know, you did it on, you know, you've got it on the digital. I said, I'm not putting that in. So she did a show that was just pure photography. And, you know, wow. she's right. Colors are better. It looks better. And people are noticing her. What is this stuff? You know? mm. um, well, it has a soul. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's yeah. got something to it, like listening to music on, you know, valve speakers. You know, there's, there's something yeah, about you know, it. Yeah, you know, it's true. It is true. And it is lost. And you know, who notices and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's, well, you know, who notices anything? Who notices if this is Stradivarius or some other guys you know violin but you know if you mm. listen to the or you let people who know about that stuff give you the best they possibly can or something then you know they're going to appreciate it they're going to like it more they're going to they might not you know it's a bit like when you do a great shot or something they might not know why it was great but they liked it and they mm. might not be able to articulate it and that you know that's what i say that's why there's a shot that's what they, and that's why People do like, you know, she liked, she liked those colors. I mean, I'm not, I don't, she's not like the daughter of the great cinematographer. I mean, she's not that at all. She does her own thing. She's not me. She's interested in food and stuff and clubs and all those sort of things. But, you know, she, but now she's teaching me about photography, things I never really completed on stills probably. Mm. But she just, right on this, I, so I bought an old Rolly. Rolly called you double lens reflex. Um, and then she's got this other, uh, you know, 
these these film things, but she and she plays around with digital and that, and then she goes into Metro Color and wherever they are in uh, Clark and Well, and they'll know her. And then, and then even the snappy snaps lady on Portobello, because she's always doing, you know, they know, ah, oh, yeah, and they, they talk, you know, she's the snappy snaps lady. What does she know? She just runs and she, oh God, she knows about photography too. So mm. she has rapport with her laboratory. And that was the very important thing when I was taught, my, well, I was taught, I asked a DP once what the, you know, he said three great rules about being a cinematographer. I said, yes, 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 yes. Said, I said, ah. Yes, in the lab, yes, the lab, yes, yes, the lab, yes, yes, and the lab, <laughs> and that, that's it. It was, and they, they could tell you, those old guys at the laboratory could tell you if you've got a bust up or misses because they're just looking at your numbers. Yeah. You've got three colors mm -hmm. red, green, blue, or yellow, cyan, magenta, negative, you're working with us, mm -hmm. and you get three numbers every day. And, and they were, no, Hesseltine printer had light valves. And they had 50, 50, um, 50 uh, notches on them. So you wanted an average. So you got your, you know, your red, you know, you get 36, 19, 40. 19's low, but it doesn't matter because as long as your numbers evened up to about, well, Kodak recommended 25. So you've got three numbers mm -hmm. divided by three. It should end up at 25. Now, 25, I found, and Technicolor, which was my favorite lab, rank was very good as well. They always believed in a heavier negative because you've got that tiny little thing. Mm. And it's not a much, the thing about exposing film is not about, not about um, uh, letting light through the thing, it's actually creating good blacks, really solid blacks. Because that's what's blocking the projector light coming out. That's what's giving you black or a noir film. So you had to have good black. So they believe in a heavier negative, so a more juicy, richer looking negative. So it's good to overexpose it. So Technicolor liked to think about 32, 33. Oh, wow. Big, much bigger. Yeah. Well, it was about stopping a bit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, this bit. It, I mean, 25 was low, and it was low for even Kodak, and Kodak recommended that. But I think they didn't really believe that. I don't know. Where that figure came from, but it is in the middle of the scale. I think that's all it is, 25. Um, and so you would you would go for 33. So what you were, you were counting up your numbers, they'd, they'd call the you know you'd ring up in the morning, or if you get into the lab as you value going before you went to went to the studio, um, which was possible. You know if you work in Pinewood or Hollywood or something, you could just swing by, and, and it was great. You'd go and you gave you a huge boost of confidence to to see your stuff and say, oh, how are my numbers? And you know you were you were looking for that ninety nine, ninety nine. So divided by three, thirty three. You know ninety nine, ninety eight, eighty something. Okay, ooh seventy five. Ooh, what's going on there? Somebody, ooh Jesus. Oh, I, actually, hang on. That could be a miscommunication between you and the printer. Mm. That you, you you wanted a more uh, of a darker look, so he's printed it up too much. So you were looking for these numbers that were just ninety nine, ninety nine. I say thirty three across the board. So as long as, like I said, it could be up, red could be low, blue could be high, low. As long as they ended up uh, at, at that figure, that's all you had to know. And that was it. There was no, like, crush the blacks, put the whites, put a window on this. Let's just change the mid-tones, turn down the chroma. No, 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 no. Three numbers. Three numbers. And that was it. And don't tell me cinematography has got better because it's digital. Don't tell me mm. Roger Deakins... Uh, 
Playground looks better than um, Cronenworth. Um, you know, Ridley's one looks better than Delilah. So, you know, I think the, the, the photography hasn't moved forward because of digital. Um, films are better. Mm. Uh, maybe they will become in time or maybe we'll look back. But, but um, so that, that, going back to what I was saying, you know, we shot and film, we learn our stuff from shooting on reversal film, negative short ends we get together at weekends we'd shoot something we crap our films but was myself mark london another guy called john mccarthy and then we end up being chained to a radiator poor thing and, and kidnapped in beirut and um barbara mackey chris martin is still around i know mean, and there's paul zufi he's not with us anymore uh, anyway there were, there were a bunch of us who all mucked about and um Eight films, and we all took it in turns to to uh, be the director, be this, be that. I was just a better cameraman, so I didn't have to clean the floor because I didn't rotate downwards. I could stay in this middle ground. And we shot more and more and more things, and then along came music videos. Yeah. And um, and suddenly there was this vacuum. You know, the the, the industry thought, oh, silly people, music videos. Again, you know, that that rather pompous sort of attitude to like can't make real drama, blah blah blah. And um, uh, and that was a vacuum, and it needed to be filled. And suddenly, we all had work, or we didn't. We weren't making much money, but we were. Um, we had this suddenly. There was this industry created, and no one really paid attention. And the union weren't that heavy on us, and we could make these things. And I can't remember how many I did. I mean, I asked Dan. I, mean, I did lots for Dan, not mm. lots, but he did loads. I mean, I'm not sure if I did three hundred. Maybe I don't. Kleinman. Dan, yeah, he must yeah, have yeah. Had him. He was in bands. He was, he was yeah, loads. he did loads. We had a chat. It was a great chat. Oh yeah, I, mean, I did loads for him. But he was—he's very good. I mean, very good. I mean, he takes all that forward into his commercials and to his Bond titles, which I've done quite a few of those with him. Mm. Um, but also his dissolves. I mean, talk about dissolves and transitions. He's—he's he's really a master. Mm. He does really beautiful. You know, his 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 work where he goes from one thing to another folds through without you noticing lovely transitions i mean i don't know if it, he, he, of course he's musical i'm not sure if that's he's a great draftsman as well mm. um i don't know it's a combo but you know he's in some ways that uh, it's a great 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 and he's probably our most decorated british uh, tv commercial director mm. by long um, but anyway, you know, he did loads and his company called Limebar. I did not know. I was, I was very indie. I didn't hit the golden age of music videos, not the big kind of pompous Elton John, sort of Duran Duran. Yeah, I was yeah. more indie. I mean, I did, I did two, the pit, I, Tab Ratcliffe was a, used to work with me, he was an assistant. Me at the time. I remember we did two, the, the Pixies were the coolest bands and they were pre-grunge. Okay? Yeah. I did end up, you know, shooting. I think everyone's arms. got a t-shirt. If you like that kind of rock, you know, you've got the Pixies t-shirt. The Pixies, well, they were there, you know, they were like inspired bands like you know, No Doubt and, mm. and you know, Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana and yeah. you know, all those other bands. They all love the Pixies. I went to see them recently, and you know, France, but still one of the best screamers around. I was like, in the back, anyway, they shot two music videos. I didn't realize that, and I shot them both in a day on a Super 8 camera, and that was such an honor. So cool, I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> And one of them was a one shot, 
And the director said, what do you do? Well, I ran out, and then with a baseball diamond, I ran out, ran around, Francis, ran around, Kim, ran back, ran back, ran back there. And I got it in on the time and on one cassette. He said, oh, good. You want to do it again? Yeah, yeah, I can do it again. And after about a third time, he said, you want to do it again? I said, oh, I think I'm running out of puff. Do it. Because, do you know, they do chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. You know, they were very short songs. Um, so anyway, I don't know how many music videos we did, but I did, and then there's big stately stuff with the massive attack, mm. lots with them, and a lot with Prince. Uh, you know, and then the big Arbor bands at the time, you know, um, you know, got the big bands. And then, you know, ended up, let's say, doing, uh, we always had that Indian British, uh, British invasion thing. And then when um, we shot Heart Shaped Box, which is a wonderful music video directed by Anton Corbin. And then um, Kurt, you know, he, he, Moppy went after that, not long after actually. And I just thought, I, I, I've got to get out of this as well. I just, yeah. And the bands, you know, I wasn't really part of that movement anymore. And, um, you know, d did way too many music videos and thought, you know, I didn't get into this to shoot music videos. And I could have carried on doing that, I suppose. Um, but it would have led to um, more music videos. Yeah. Um, and things were changing a bit. You know, I was also getting older. So, you know, it was great when you knew the bands, you were listening to them, you were going to concerts anyway. And if you weren't really, you were just an old git, really, like, who's this stuff? And then um, uh, I remember this very cool friend of mine, you know, I did like weird diesel ads for, we had this band. You know, to try and get a number one was really difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, loads of music videos, very cool bands, you know, like, and the cone and the same massive attack and garbage, and, you know, Sundays and you know, Nick Cave and you know, really kind of cool um, stuff. But getting number one is really difficult. And there was this band, and I just thought, why are we doing this? this is shit. This is terrible. Um, is that the I've got to get but, out right now moment? No, well, that was that, that was. Uh, uh, what was it? It was, um, give me, uh, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. It's a fucking Spice Girl. They are terrible. So, what are you doing this for? One of them fancies them. Anyway, I got number one with them and I got number one with Prince or something. And that was about it. But, you know, like everyone knows the Spice Girls. Oh, I've got to get away from this. <laughs> I mean, you know, bless them. Whenever I see them, they always bounce up to you because it's like one of the first things they do. We want to do a music video. Oh. Um, so, you know, it's very difficult to get, you know, not always the best, you know, you know, I mean, you remember music videos you love. They weren't always the best songs. And, yeah. You know, what becomes number one is always a bit of a mystery and you know it's like um so you know um but anyway did lots of them and then you know then a lot of stuff with um uh you know and there's a lot more pop with um Kylie Minogue, Dawn Shadforth and garbage you know good, good sort of you know proper solid performancey nice mm. looking yeah but anyway so I had to get out of it so I I I um sort of getting commercials a bit, you know, and, you know, suddenly these grubby uh, music video DPs and directors were getting commercial work. And then you, you saw these big production companies actually um, snapping up young talent, young director talents, trying to get them on board to make their commercial guys a bit cooler because these guys, you know, MTV was definitely influencing everything. I mean, MTV was really good when it started. You had these music videos that had 
leaves and butthead, he would tear into crap Hello. videos and most of yeah, him. Yeah. You had something called the real world, which was like a um, Big Brother sitcom thing. Mm-hmm. They had the house, they put up the kids. They did, they did one or two really good old films. They were a good channel. Um, and so that was, so suddenly we, we, we were pulled forward that into commercials. We got some commercials. And then you start really earning money on commercials. We, there's some music videos I was doing wasn't really making any money. Um, you know, they were kind of low budget indie, British indie thing for mute records. And, um, so suddenly started making a bit of money. And then I thought, I, I've just got to, you know, and then the Kurt thing happened. And I thought, I've got to get a film. And I couldn't get a film because it was, oh, I haven't been to Oxford, dear boy. Oh, you haven't been to the films. So anyway, I got a you probably learn more doing those hundreds of promos than you ever would well, do no, in a three-year Yeah, that's my argument. You know, you don't need to. You don't need to to study that stuff. You don't need to read. You know, Milton. You know, any. You don't. You don't need to read to be a filmmaker. You know, I mean, you should read. Of course, you should read. But, but um. You know, it's that, that's why they're films. You know, that's why paintings are paintings. That's why they're not books. You know, they're, cause they're, so, um, but anyway, I couldn't get a gig, you know, because they thought I hadn't done any drama and blah, blah, blah. You know, even though the, the drama I was seeing at the time, shot by a very drab ex-BBC guy, was just like, it was incredibly dull. And sort of, you know, the lighting and the atmosphere were fucking mortuary. And I just thought, ugh, you know, I can do better than that. Um, mm. And they just, they thought as soon as you hadn't done drama, you couldn't do it. And I thought, well, this is absurd, you know. Mm. I mean, you know, I'd been on bigger sets with more lights. I mean, by the end of those things, I mean, when this friend of mine did Scream with Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson, they took 7.5 off Sony for that music. Wow. That's $7.5 million. So it wasn't as though we weren't responsible. I know, but, you know, you, you know you, they were big sets. So, Shoot a nice you know, couple I, I of films Scooby, so I went to France. Yeah, yeah no, good. Anyway, so I went, right. Well, the other thing is, I went to India to learn beforehand, and because you could do, I could do commercials in India, which was funny, but you could get to, you know, play. But then I went to France and I got a couple of, couple of uh, movies there, which got noticed, you know, um, you know, I got, I got like eight pages of K, I got the front cover of K in the cinema, which is the coolest, you know, cinema magazine in the world. And, and then the French gave me a, so, Legion d'honneur, and I became a bit of, yeah, a, bit of a wow. celebrity. And then I came back to the UK and I went, okay. He was working tightly, turning their nose off me. And um, um, and then I got a film called Twin Town, a friend of mine, because I made a film with him in India, Kevin Allen, about the cricket. We went out to just do a documentary on the cricket on the spec and part of a tour. And um, so Twin Town led to another thing that I did, a film with Julian Temple, who I knew from music videos about John Vigo, which is a bit, you know, it's all right. Um, a bit like filmy filmmakers, making films about filmmakers, which is never a good idea. Um, I don't think. Um, but it was, you know, a nice enough picture. And then eventually I, I was sort of thought to be okay or something. And I got, to shoot Plunkett McLean with Jake Scott, who I'd been doing, you know, music videos for the Verve and Pumpkins with, and and he'd got this script called Plunkett McLean. And after that, then everything else fell into place because that was 
I thought it was a really good film and it's been very overlooked at the time and he got a bit slagged off because he was so-and-so's son and stuff and it was a bit, you know, it was cool, it was very punk and very popular in um, Australia and New Zealand and South Africa, strangely enough, mm. I don't know why, um, but really popular there because um, I think it was a bit, fuck you, you know, um, it wasn't done by English bonnets and... Yes, theory of caps. Theory. Yeah. No, it wasn't, you know, it was all very... You know, interesting design, costume, music, you know, very rock and roll. Mm. Um, that, that's where we came from. So, um, uh, and then, you know, everything else followed on, but it took a while to be noticed. Um, there was a lot of kind of having to just do whatever you felt was right at the time and fuck the consequences. It didn't sound like no, there was yeah. a very clear path. Yeah, no, it was. I know. I, I, I wouldn't say I you know, planned it. I mean, you know, you everyone wants to make films. I think anyone who makes a, you know, funny little film for the internet or something, everyone wants to make a movie. Everyone loves movies. Yeah. And um, um, so people love a movie. They love that thing. So yeah. So it's really important, as you said, to to do anything. I would shoot anything for anyone. I really would. I mean, I was living in Camberwell for 28 quid a week in a, in a, sort, of, in wow. a sort of house from the young ones or with mm. Nell and I. I mean, disgusting. Um, uh, Camberwell and, Carrot? <laughs> yeah. Um, we, were well, we were well ahead of the game. Um, also, just, you know, you come back and I'd be, I'd, I'd go off to India to make commercials or something because I could actually get work out there. And it was, wasn't a bad place to summer. Like, yeah. you know, you're, you're in India in the middle of winter and, you know, you're not in Camberwell, you know, in that dead period of filmmaking, which is sort of like December right through to February, nothing's going on. And I, you know, could earn a thousand bucks to be doing a commercial in India. And a thousand dollars in India looked like a king. Mm. And I'd come back and then you'd find, you know, to, to London and you'd find someone in your bed. I mean, not. A lovely person to you. There'll be some bloke in bed with, and you go, oh, fuck off, man. You know, I said, no, 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 I just like, oh, you're John. Hi, John. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm <laughs> but what that meant was I could um, do anything for anyone. Yeah. I'd work for loads of freebies, lots mm. of like freebie promos. Anyone may make a short film. I did loads of little short films for people. You know, this whole gang was trying to get ahead, and um, I didn't have any. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a mortgage. And you know, I didn't. Well, I did have a car. It was an old mini cab, box or it. I didn't. You know, I didn't have any. Um, and so, what, what I could do is, I could do anything. You know, um, I mean, you know, you wanted a bit of money, but you know, I survived okay. But but what that meant was that you all the time you were getting your, getting your face around, getting on the map. Mm. People were noticing you. People were, and you know, you 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 pull yourself onto these plateaus and think, hey, I met this guy, I met that guy, great, and do this thing, and nothing would happen. They couldn't do it, or they went somewhere else to do it, or they had to go away, and they wouldn't couldn't afford to take you on. Mm. So you'd still sit camera. But then you did enough freebies. Then suddenly, you know, what you do, you get that call from someone. I get the kid who did the day on. I'm still focused on you. Tell him to come and do the second camera on this. We've got, we got some pick up shots to see if John will do. 
and then that would lead to something else and that would lead to something else and then you sort of go back again and then you pull yourself up to another plateau get your chin above it just you weren't even standing on that plateau and then you move your eyes across the plateau and go, is this it i don't want to be here i want to start climbing again but it, it is difficult it's difficult to get going i mean that's the danger now is that there's so many people there's so much content everyone's shooting everything you know um uh, you know, there wasn't so many outlets for what we did, but I don't, I don't know. I think it was probably a bit easier then. I don't know. But you know, remember you go up to Sammy's, the big rental people. You know, like they like Pan, you know, they, were, they were as big or bigger than Panavision, and um, I think they Panavision franchise there. And you, you know, there'd be piles of equipment the size of this room going out to doing out of it, you know, out of Africa or somewhere, you know. You know, massive film that's going to be overseas, Gandhi or something like that. You know. And they'd have a docket and be all wrapped up, and you'd see the stuff going to get shipped out with carnets. And then you'd come in, you'd have a 9.5 or a 12 millimeter Zeiss lens in Astron, you had two boxes, and it was in the corner, just two little boxes about the size of a box of tea. And uh, you'd come and collect it, and you'd look at this huge pile of gear, and these very grisly looking um, camera technicians would look at you with their sort of uh, there are Cornish pasty shoes, there are loafers and their Acker Joe shirts and their Lacoste Farrow uh, trousers. You know, oh, yeah, but they saw you, they saw you, they yeah. saw you. Oh, that guy, he's having, he's trying, you know, he's, he's out there. And you were sort of part of you could see these things. The danger is now you can buy a 4K camera on top of it, it costs you nothing. You know, cameras will be dealing with the cost, price of houses. You buy a camera and your camera, your camera, your cinematographer, your videographer, whatever, your DP, and you, but you're alone. You don't know anyone. You don't, you're not with part of, you know, you've got a camera, you're going to make your thing with your friends, but you don't, you're not part of a thing that's going on. You don't go to Sammy's to get the camera. You don't go to the laboratory and have to wait while Dickie Attenborough sees his things and he goes, hello, dear boy. <laughs> you know, you thought, oh my God, that was Dickie Attenborough. He said hello to me. Oh my God, <laughs> who's that grumpy bastard? Who's that grumpy But you, you know, you saw these people and you saw them, they were, they were real. And, and you, you know, you went to Soho and you hung out in Soho and, you know, the, 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 all the editors were there for the big films. They were in the, the Crown Two Chairman on Wardour Street or, Going to Bruno's Cafe, and you, you could, you know, you could actually pick up a gig. You know, you could get a job as a runner. I was um, rubber edge numbering. You know, we used to take the film, shoot the film, they get the sounds, transfer the sound into magnetic tape, and then you you mark up the clapperboards, sync it up, and then you go to these rubber numbering machines, which are really stinky and horrible, really temperamental. They smell awful, and they print white numbers like a time code down the edge of the film and mm. down the edge of the sound. So you could sync them together. And so I had a job there, this rubber edge numbering. It was a smelly job, but you get these films would come in. You know, these amazing films, like, you know, Mission, you know, that came in. Mission, Robert De Niro, and Johnny Eyes. Wow. We weren't supposed to look at it, we did sneaky. Look at it. And then we rubber number the, the rushes with the sound and send it back to the cutting room. And then, so I was quite happy there. But then the guy who ran the place, um, we ended up calling him Robert Jules. He got busted by the vice squad because he was also duping porn VHS. So <laughs> we turned up to work one day and we'd all been locked out and we interviewed by the police. And that was the end of my rubber numbering. And so rubber, rubber Jules, I don't know why it was a rubber Jules. Um, but that was, and that was above, um, there was the corner of that, in, there was a pink Indian, uh, rather good Indian restaurant on the corner of 
um, uh, Dean Street and on the corner of Ben Soho Square, mm. opposite, opposite, opposite the coach, the uh, coach bar, whatever that, that pub is, and um, the lesbian bar. Anyway, um, yeah, so. Um, and then you know you 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 you'd see loads of people in Soho carrying film around like huge rolls of film, you know, big piles of stuff. Because now you know the film's like you know it's that size of you know it's like a USB stick, you know, it's just mm. tiny. It's yeah. So you'd have to carry the film around. You have to go from here to there, and the stand would have to go up, and then they'd do the reprint because they scratched the film up because they're working so much with the editing, and they'd reprint the whole roll. So do that, and then the sound would have to go there, and then we have to go down for mixing and come back. So, so we were always rolling film. I remember, and it was like, it was like lots of these cutting rooms. So you, you, so if you went to Soho, you could run into people, you could meet people, there was more of a chance of, you know, being Collaboration around. and finding out. Also, yeah. kind of, I guess you get to know, is that is that how you kind of met some of these directors as well? It's like, you know, I was just... Yeah, well, they knew of you, you know, so when you, you know, when you, they knew of you, they heard about you. Oh, he's the kid, he used to be clapping and super good. And now he's doing music videos. Oh, he's doing music videos. Oh, you do commercial. You see it. That's right. Ooh, ooh. And um, so, you you know, you would, yeah, but being, I mean, I would just like go to Soho anyway. I didn't even have an office there at the time. Like, it didn't cost much then as well. Um, with a friend of mine, we had a company. But you, um, yeah, by getting your face around. And we were on, and yeah, Archer, Archer Street had Archer Street films, the famous one, but also it had big cutting rooms at Salon. I remember coming out of there with a pile of film ones, carrying far too much of it, trying to do it in one load. Because, you know, you, you know, because it's like... I have to do it too. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, rather than two. And it was, a, it was a, you know, it was when you still used to have winters and it'd be snowing, and it'd be, but it'd be slushy and horrible. And um, I dropped one of the rolls of the film. Oh, no. Uh, and it rolled down the hill. And that was okay because there's in the tin, but then the tin opened like that. Oh but, no! Oh god! And I thought, well, I hope it's positive because positive doesn't matter. You reprint it, but it's negative. I came this orange film, and I thought, well, I hope it's wrapped the right way. And it wasn't wrapped the right way; it was wrapped the wrong way. And it unrolled into oh, this god. grit and sludge, and I was screaming my head off. And all the girls who used to work there, uh, who I kind of knew because you always go up and down because the coming was into this, you know, these little. French model upstairs, went to Paris for the day, sort of thing. You know, these sort of working girls who were in between the cutting rooms, so you'd share the the, the, the the doorway with them, you know, and like, yeah. you know, they respected you and tried to keep their punters out of the way and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> like, quite often you'd meet people, like some funny bloke would come through your, the editing room door, yes, can I help you? No, no, upstairs, one more. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I screamed my head off, and all the girls would start heads out the window. And they came down and they said, what's the matter? I said, I mean, it's, it's all orange anyway. It doesn't matter. I said, no, it's, no it does matter. It's orange. It's negative. So they, they very kindly all picked it up in this long ribbon and took their hair dryers and dried it all up. And they rolled it all back on and put it back in the town with the tissue paper. It said nothing, but that would have been me done. I mean, you know, hopefully it was a bit of negative that no one wanted, but they thought, well, what the hell's that? This has got grit and wet and sticky. And <laughs> And, um, That'd have been it. No, no, yeah. no industry, no job, no Mister. Yeah, Tom but that was the thing. But, but what was what was great was that the, um, you know, you'd see you'd see these characters and they remember you as well. And um, you're not carrying film anymore. No, no, I'm doing something else. <laughs> so um, yeah, so that was that was a good. Um, uh, it was a good good time to be in Soho. A good time to be around. Yeah. You know, 
And then and what happened? Was very... What was the story then to get into the that that features world? Did all of a sudden you'd done something? You'd done a short and well, someone picked it up. Running, I mean, my promo days. But what what was good about that is I learned really about editing because I was a sound editor for a bit in one of these places after the oh, Robert Jules experience. I did actually get jobs in cutting rooms, and you actually saw how. Um, you know how you know when you make your first film cut it really is magical yeah i recommend it just get a bit of film and just go for a wide shot to a close-up and find the moment where he lifts his hand up and then just cut in on that movement when the close-up comes and it'll be a soft cut and even though you're going wide thing you're going straight on the axis you'll see how smooth it is and you just that's magical and it's actually that's where the magic happens you know mm. going back to drafts and scripts and how awful scripts and films are you don't really get the final draft until they finish cutting the film that's when you finally see the final yeah. script because that's maybe a year after you've, you, you, you've shot your last shot on, on, and put the camera back in its box. So, um, you know, editing's really important to know, I think, um, as, as, as a DP, as a cinematographer, because then you know what, what really you need and how to cover a scene and how... You know, you, not every shot has to be a fantastic crane shot. It's up and down and across and stuff. And, you know, what you what you do need is just to know what... I mean, there's no point in over-lighting and making shots over-complicated when you know full well they can jump straight in on something. Mm. Um, so that, that, that that's a helpful thing to know, um, uh, cutting-wise. I, I'd recommend any any young cinematographer to, be, to, to do some editing. Um, is there any um, other so, advice? From, hmm? What other little tips have you? Would you kind of for that well, next generation coming shoot, through? Shoot, shoot, shoot anything for anyone, even though they might be awful to you and might not pay you, and, and they don't. You, know, you yeah. might feel like you're being sucked off, and they're not really pulling their weight. I still think it's worth shooting anything for anyone. Um, uh, yeah, editing's important because um, that's where the film lives. You know, mm. um, shots are just shots. Until they're put together, they didn't mean anything. Um, and, you know, David Lean, you know, would say that. You know, he he, he said, "Oh, people think that's great talking, which is good editing." He, he, uh, he, he said that. Um, um, but that that period of me in Soho was really wasn't really. A, um, it was just very good to be. Because when you when you have to start cutting a first show reels, you have to do it yourself. So, you know. If you work a steam deck, work a cutting machine, great. Mm. Um, but going from there, that you know, but being in cutting rooms with a friend of mine, we used to we we have this little company make documentaries. I'd shoot them, he'd record sound. I've them how to record sound. So I knew about sound and sound editing before. And then I'd cut them, or I'd sync everything up, and I'd show them how to cut. And he'd, he'd, you know, once you learn cutting, you learn the offsets. You can it's mathematical. It's just frames you can actually work out. And then artistically, then you can start. Trying things against each other, trying things that jar, trying things that are smooth. So he um, did that. But I, me- but I remember we'd sit up there and Thomas of Cunningham said that the hours were terrible because he'd wait. We'd wait for the directors to come when I was a junior assistant and, and they'd come in the evening. And, you know, we'd wait for them in the thing. And the first thing they do is they look at something and, hmm, and then go to the pub and drink huge amounts of beer, then go and have a eat at the Red Fort. And eat huge amounts of curry into the other bursting and stoned with chicken tea and masala and make last orders then go upstairs and cut through to about you know one one thirty in the morning 
then come in again, you know, come in, tidy up, start cutting on the like 9, 30, 10, and wait for the editor to come in. He'd come in like bleary-eyed and about, he'd been fiddling around a bit and look at the things about about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, he'd get down to the pub again and meet the director. <laughs> Another boozy lunch, they cut quite actively in the afternoon from when the pub's gone from three till when the director came again. So this really out of sync jet lag existence. And then I remember coming back on the tube one day and, um, you know, putting my foot up my leg, uh, my leg up, and on the bottom of my foot was one one frame of one sellotape from the film got shit. Oh no! I thought I, I don't I thought I, I can't be in cutting rooms. It's too it's too much beer. It's too much. Mm. You know, you can edit. You know, an editing machine could stop and think and just stop. Right? Let's leave this and we'll go on to something else. Mm. When you're on set, you can't do that. And that, I think that's that's what I needed. I needed that so discipline and you have to do this shot and you have to get this done um so that editing thing that's what pushed me back to i mean i was i was always wanted to get on set anyway but i'm obviously some sort of talent as a camera and obviously what seems that way um weirdly uh so i knew that's where even though the editing was really where it's so much more fun things come to life it's where films become films. They mm. don't become set. They don't become films on rushes. You know, even when you finish shooting, you don't know if you've made a good film or a bad film. Um, it's when they go to the cutting room and then you, you get that weird silence and you ring the brakes after two or three weeks and say, how oh, is it? It's good. It's really good. You, you know, you know within You mop two or the three brow. Weeks, yeah. The sweat yeah, comes you know, off. Um, you think you've done a great film and, you know, then they struggle for a year in post and you know there's a problem there. You know, mm. there's, missed it or something's not right too many drafts or so um do you know a good the, film when you fit like in your gut do you kind of go during no. the process you go this is this could be something no no not really i mean I, you, you know, things i've enjoyed mm. and that no one's noticed and things that you've worked really hard on like you know film about two years ago i really threw myself into it as big as i could and pushed really hard and you know, it was really tough on people and really tried to make the effort. And, you know, and I just felt, you know, it's like someone taking your dinner and throwing it against the wall and it was just a disaster. And mm. I just felt resentful that I just pushed and pushed my crew hard, pushed everything so hard to do that. And then some things you just think they're rubbish and they turn out to be really good. <laughs> How did that happen? Did you know, um, Gladi- did, it feel, did Gladiator feel like what it would end up being? No, not really. No, I mean it didn't. I mean it was my first big Hollywood film, but mm. I knew we'd had some did some big scenes. I knew they, but I mean it was a very chaotic script. Um, there were sort of seven writers, I think, in the end, and Franzoni, oh, says, wow. uh, whatever his name, you know, Franzoni wrote, and then this other guy, uh, uh, this pompous English guy, was his name. But I mean, a lot of it was written by Millie Lee, and who was Ridley's assistant. That's a tiny, pretty smart enthusiastic girl from north london and then i mean i'm into townsend she was also doing notes and stuff. I mean, uh, that, townsend's daughter peter they everyone was writing i mean and we didn't really know what we were making and i say the original um the original script he had some really silly name i mean it was really camp i can't remember what it was i have to dig it out and i worry. um i mean it really was appalling yeah 
I'll superimpose mm. you. I'll, I'll phone you back and you can tell me when you found it. Yeah, you can, you can chop it in. There was something like Janus, and they, they wrote it and he used to speak in Latin or something or something. So he was going to speak Spanish or something and all these crazy ideas. And Janus was, comes out as, well, the J, let's say, is an I. <laughs> okay, so that's written. So I, yeah. please, this was it. I've got it somewhere. It is killing me funny. It says, please, yeah, uh, Janus, with an I, God of passages, please open your door and let my. And <laughs> it's in there. It is. I mean, it really was. I mean, we're not saying that. I mean, I can't see Russell saying that. Anyway, that didn't happen. No, I didn't know. I didn't know what, how good it would be or how bad it would be. I just thought I'd work really hard. Yeah. And, and then I remember I went to LA for something or other. I can't remember what I was there for. And I had to sort of go and see Rude because they were getting really close. And he showed it to me and Russell at the same time. And R Russell came out and he was sort of hand on his hand down, and his, had his elbows on his knees, and he was, he was mumbling something, you know, very ungracious, like, you know, oh, it's, it's a bit I thought, I thought, fuck me, that was good. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> Sweet. You played a good one there. Yeah, and I thought that's amazing. You know, that Millie, you know, she's thinking, that's amazing because she'd seen it. She was, you know, it's amazing. I thought she was, Millie was being, it was amazing. I don't know, so I rang Millie back. It is, it's amazing. And then Russell, I just thought, Russell, you just become a megastar. Yeah. And you're sitting there, like, going, <laughs> being all gruff and kind of boyish, Australian. I thought, this is huge. This is great. And uh, and Rid comes out, you know, he's Yorkshire and I'm not too well. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a bit to do, not a bit to do, it's great. Um, yeah. and uh, yeah, no, I didn't know. No, I didn't know. I mean it was my first sort of as I said, my first massive film. It was a mm. massive film. And um, you worked with Ridley before and then, you know, we did other ones. Yeah, yeah, we did. Well, only to start on on commercial stuff, and then mm. we did a really good, you know, it, you know, award winning commercial was for Orange. I remember those Orange ads, really big ads. Um, mid mid nineties, you know, big budgets. He was still barely doing some Barclays Bank stuff, and we did some stuff like that. And I did a lot of stuff with Tony as well. Mm. And um, you know, I sort of I was at RSA, you know, I was on the RSA. You know, chosen cameraman, which is a great company to be at. You know, to mm. be well, I wasn't at the company, but I was one of favourite choices. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, didn't know what Gladiator would be. I didn't. I didn't get a script. I got. A, I got a picture um, from nineteenth century romantic. You know, one of those big uh, painters that went um, north. Uh, no, sorry, on the on the great the grand tour as they used to go, and it was by Jerome. Um, and it's got this rather overweight looking antibody with a big kind of uh, Darth Vader spaceship helmet on. Mm. Not, the, not the Darth Vader's helmet, actually the, the, the spaceship that flew in. It looked like that. <laughs> he's got this big tongue, he's got his foot on solid. And it's just, you know, this decadent, you know, um, drunken scene. 
um, and all these Romans and there's candles, there's incense burning, and there's carpets and silks and you know garlands of flowers, and they're all leaning all up, thumbs down. And that was it. I had that on the wall, and um, I was waiting for a script. And they said, "Are oh, you in pre-production?" I just sat and they gave me an office, in, you know, in 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 Shepton, and I had a special place to drive my car and my name written beautifully, and and there was nothing to do, and. Um, so I mean, nothing, there were no scripts. And there was things, oh God, we can't read that, can't read that. And it was all over the place. And you know, the film is a lot better than the script, I can tell you that. Mm. And um, I slipped off and went off to do a commercial for um, Vodafone with Schumacher, actually, um, in um, uh, Magello, or was it, what's it? Yeah, that little Ferrari test track outside Milan, Turin. Anyway, I was on. I had a remote head on the front of the car, and it wasn't behaving right, you know, because it was the G forces were too much chasing this Ferrari around. Mm. So we, so the so the, the stunt guy said, oh, look, "I'll strap you onto the front of the car in a body harness." With we we were Stedman, so you can roll into the bends. That's a great idea, okay? Look. And um, so we went around. I mean, oh my god, it was, it was terrifying. You know, he had a sort of really fast lancet theme it's a bi-turbo v6 thing pounding on my chest i strapped on the full body and chasing this car my eyes goggles on trying to bleary eyes to see this thing and everything was vibrating but it was getting lots of speed and chasing this um whatever it was this 97 ferrari or was it 98 anyway um and then so we went around a couple times this well then um i said we're not getting close enough to black and whites you know when you go around the bend and he said, well, I'll put a wheel on, but it, it'll be bad vibrations. Yeah, but it, I need to feel like we're hugging the bends a bit more. It feels like we're too, too So he put a wheel over the edge on the, on the inside with it, and we hit the gravel, and the car just spun out of control. Oh, God. And I was sitting around, and I just thought, you know, and all I had was that, you know, that's a weird painting in my head. I thought, oh, when is going to shoot that film Gladiator? So <laughs> <I was laughs> going to the tar wall, and... Um, uh, anyway, he got control of the car because he was a rally driver. He got it back up, grass and crap everywhere. I mean, it slid to a start and sideways. He's John, really sorry. Anyway, so went back and said, and Then we started talking about, you know, about what we're going to do next and stuff. And he said, I got this film. And he, you know, and it was cool. Um, um, and he came, Franco, he came to do all the stunt stuff and all the riding stuff in Gladiator. He was a very, very good um, with ATVs, animals. He'd grown up in Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was great with bikes. And, you know, he was just the new guy. And he, I think he had that more that more modern style of tracking and stuff that you see now a lot more when we're doing the chariot races, cavalry charges, all those sort of things. He, he was the one who did that. Um, so it was a good, it was good. I went away to do the Ferrari job because I got a very good <laughs> stunt driver out of it. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah. So um, I guess that's how the film industry had. works. You kind of you do something, you meet someone, it fits with the next thing. Yeah. You know, it's that serendipitous. No, yeah, Frank, yeah, Frank, Frank, you know, he's sort of, you know, he thought it was making some small little film because you know Ferrari is a big job to do, mm-hmm. and uh, and he turned up with all these Italian grits because a lot of the Italian. Because you, uh, 
we used some Italians. Uh, it was actually a family, the original Ben-Hur, because when you can do, you've got great horse people in the UK, but the Italians, when it comes to chariots, are better, because we have two horses as a team. You have mm-hmm. the lead horse, and those horses have to go down, or, you know, if you roll a horse, in the UK, they jump up, they can do stunts, they can do fire horses, they do horses, they do falls, they do, they can rear up, they can, you know, um, but the actual, when you have a team like that, and one of them has to do something, then you need, uh, there's very few skilled people to do that. Anyway, the guys came from Italy that knew my guy, Franco Salomon, the car guy, and they'd work with him. Uh, so when they would track on an ATV on the, you know, these quad bike things around, they all knew each other. And that's that, so we had an Italian sort of that side of things we're doing at those. So, but yes, it was a very, you do pick up these people from funny places. That's why I said, we you know it's a good idea to shoot anything for anyone because if I hadn't met Franco, I don't know, we wouldn't have met the Italian horse guys. I don't know how we'd have done this. I'm sure we'd have found a way, but mm. you know, you look at sequences, they're great. You know, nothing to do with me. I just mm. knew them and they came along. Yeah. And they, and they, they you know, they were, they were Italians. They walk in, they see the Coliseum. No, John, I didn't know you're so famous. So I'm not really. I'm just like, <laughs> you wouldn't mind. But you know, they made me look good. Mm. You know, they made me look good. Um, great, great, uh, you, know, um, you know, to get really close to animals at speed and to do crashes and to do those things. Uh, yeah, it was it was from doing a silly Vodafone Ferrari thing that we ended up with a great horse team. Amazing. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you know, it's the thing. Lots of um, people can do many different things. Um, mm. The danger is getting pigeonholed into Oh yeah, and he does this. Yeah, and he does that. You know. um, but you know, l- lots of people can apply what they know to different things. And I think that's one of the things about the film industry. It kind of chooses you. Mm. You don't really go to film school and say, "Oh yeah, I want to be this. I want to be that." You know, just you know, people just end up there. It's almost like a big finger points you. You, you do this. Just picks um, you up you know. and just drops yeah, yeah, you into these yeah. situations. Because everyone's got their own story, you know. Yeah, you know, Frank. He, he grew up in Africa, and he was, you know, bikes and stuff running around. There was a bit of a, there were some bandits and stuff running about, and he did Paris Dakar races, and you know, and then he thought, well, I'd, and then someone asked him to do it, and he became interested in filming because people were filming, put a camera on one of his cars one day, and then he, you know, the bit, then he got to learn about how to move with. Um, it's one thing to go very fast, but how to move around another fast-moving animal or bike. Um, Bit like Mark Wolf, the helicopter guy who's just you know, he was the youngest pilot in Vietnam, oh. and he's been flying like he still is. But he thought Tom Cruise did that incredible stunt in mission mm. to do a corkscrew. I don't know, I mean, he's but even watching him fly and flying with him in helicopters, you know, he's just that's his instinctive what a shot should be. It's one thing to fly a helicopter very low and very fast, but that, some people can do that or stunt as in show people do show pieces but to actually make a shot look good you know quite often you can go very fast and be really dangerous and you come away with nothing but people like franco mark wall they understand where to put the camera how to make it exciting um mark came from vietnam and the first thing he did was the spy love and they dressed him up in jag put him in jet ranger and he played the lambs navy Girl or something there is in drags Flying his helicopter on top of Roger Moore's Lotus, mm-hmm. dives into the water, 
So you know that's where he started. But uh, by by accident, it shows him. You know, the big magical hands. Yeah. And that was the end of his um, days as a marine or army heavy pilot. So mm. and he's still flying, and he's you know he's great, and he just he's as one of instinctive filmmakers. He sort of knows where to put the camera, he knows what will look good. And, you tell him one thing, yeah, 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 great, and he does something totally different. But that's <laughs> um, well, let's. Uh, um, I know I'm kind of we're getting close to almost two hours, and I don't want to take oh up any more of your time because this is. Sorry, I, I honestly yeah. could listen. To, I could listen to you talk all day, and I'd love to. You know, mm. it's just been amazing, and I don't want to. I I just no, you know, no, respect your time. Oh, sorry, I love it. Oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> No, I genuinely love it. So thank you. Um, I guess at this point, I always like to just ask if you've got any advice for your younger self. Well, yeah, no, I said earlier, I mean, you know, do anything for anyone, as we, you've just been talking about, it can lead yeah. to very odd connections. Um, there's no point in, in sitting at home making your own films for yourself. Mm. Um, you've got to get out and meet people. You've got to, you've got to bang into people. I know, you know, with this whole tragic things hanging out right now it's difficult but as soon as you can um you know um filmmaking is about um doing stuff together as you mm. know um and not being you know I remember Joel Schumacher you know big New York loud queen who said you know come in I'd like to thank you she's on my best ideas my, my best ideas came from you and you and you and you bless you all. Thank you very much. You know, so nice. use a sort of, yeah, um, very loud. It could be impossible, but a very appreciative. You know, it it is a, um, you know, it's about mass communication. That's mm. what it's about. about you know, that, that hand wheel, robin eyes, cut wide. Where am I? Those ideas are mass communication. Everyone has empathy and understanding. So don't try and do it at home in your own editing room. Doing, you know, you've got to get out with people. You've got to get people to look at the stuff and be rude about it. You've got to work with people you might not like, and you've got to listen to them mm. and negotiate your way around them. Or actually thinking, what he's saying is actually okay. He's just delivering it in a rather horrible way. Um, or what she's saying is rather horrible. But um, take that on because I say it's like mass communication. Your ideas have got to appeal to lots of people. It is a language. Mm. So, um, yeah, shoot anything for anyone, be around people, hang out with other people, sweep the floor, cut, cut your own stuff, make, make films. Don't say, I am, I am this, I am that. Um, you might find yourself being better off as a, an organiser, a producer, as an AD, rather than being a DP or being in the company. I mean, I could have gone to couple of I still kind of miss that, um, the actual creation of films. Um, so I think, yeah, do you can. I don't think film school is that important. I really don't. Um, um, I think there's so much material and so many things you can learn yourself. But the, but you really the only way to really do it is is to do it yourself. You can't read about writing. You can't read about making great shots. You have to just go out and get it wrong and just keep getting it wrong. You know um, until it comes right. And it's like. You know, um, you know, why, why is Roger Federer a good tennis player? Because he just gets it wrong a lot of times, but 
since he gets it wrong so many times, he also gets it right a lot more yeah. times. You know, you've got to actually get out there, practice, do your thing, talk, make a film, even if it doesn't do anything, just, you know, just just do another one, you know. Um, um, yeah, that, that's what I'd say. Amazing. Um, and, and, and also just try, try to just turn things on their heads. You know, if you can't do, if you can't, there's no money to do that right. You know, Derek Charm, you work with him, you just, you know, you took like this 35 million, just shoot it on Super 8, or we can't go to, to Venice. Well, Venice is now going to be um, the docks in London. They're just going to wear Italian clothes, walk around, you know, and people buy into it. They don't mm. care. You know, they say, okay, I thought one of Joe Wright's um, Anna Karenina was great. I love that theatre style thing. You know, we're going to go off and build this big thing. They just did it all right. It was a theatre set. And Ken Russell, again, you just do things like that. that would just, you know, to release you from the, 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 and the films are expensive and, and very difficult to, so, you know, don't let that put you off that, you know, um, mm. and, and try and try and do it on something else. You know, if it all looks very ordinary, then pick up Super 8 camera. You know, people still process it. You pick up Super 8 camera for nothing. Mm. People will notice a Super 8 film far more than they will with something shot on one of these things or, yeah. you know, or your fancy your fancy uh, black magic you bought in Tottenham Court Road yeah. because it looks like you've tried to do something, you've tried mm. to care. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, th I think it, I, 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 I wouldn't like to be starting out right now. I don't want to put anyone off, but, <laughs> but, uh, but maybe, you know, maybe, I think maybe think different things about it. Yeah. Different approaches. And, um, but, you know, um, but yeah, just 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 keep hitting the wall, and it'll break. I think your story alone of just how you started, where you've come from, what you had to do, I think that's enough. I think that is enough of a of a lesson. So thank you. Um, well, look, okay. thank you. I really, honestly, yeah. just I don't want to take up any more of your time because it's been amazing, and I, I, I right. thank you so much for giving up your time and and for being so open and honest, and you know talking about one of my favorite mm -hmm. films of all time and, and letting me hear some of the inside stories. So thank you. Mm. Um, right. Ladies and gents, if you're listening, subscribe and share film students, just do what he's done and do what he says. It's there. It's a blueprint, hard work, you know, make stuff, go out and try and experience and, and, and don't be scared to make mistakes. Um, so ladies and gents, until we meet again, thank you so much. And that is a wrap. Set up as a chat with the king or queen In the game I give it a shout at the end So you all know the name It's the Film Gods Podcast The what? The Film God Podcast